this summer we're bringing you double koi gig you know what happened it was that we stopped talking and then people went down and that, that was the I problem I needed the motivation of you slagging me every week to get good results and just imploded without that subscribe to the OTB koi gig pod on the OTB sports app now OTB AM with Gillette Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Yeah, you're welcome to OTBAM. We have a packed show today. Shamrock Rovers fresh from their victory last night. I was in Tala among 7,000 fans to see them uh, progress behind side, a rather moderate Hibernian side, and uh, set up a big Europe for them. We have some big interviews lined up today in the GA and soccer world. And we have Owen Sheehan, who is fresh from Adair Manor. How are you, Owen? Good, Johnny. What's the crack? What is going on? What part of the world are you in? I'm back home in Kerry now. We've, we're doing a, uh, a road show tonight before the big game on Sunday. So from a dare matter to here, and we'll be in Tralee tonight. Myself and Ashling chatting to the likes of uh, Daryl Kaneda and Jason Sherlock before Sunday. And uh, the I was going to say the big one, but you would uh, obviously argue that Saturday is is uh, the, the main one this weekend. Ashling was in Tala last night. She's had a busy, busy time, but so have you in a dare matter. The word is you didn't actually get to interview golfers, just uh, sort of normal people. Wasn't allowed, Johnny. My my expertise wasn't allowed to to reach into the into the world of those actually uh, swinging a club. It turns out um, that was the the job of of Nathan and Joe. But they, they got their moment. They they got their Jordan Spieth moment right. That's that's what we all went for. Tell us about your interviews. Uh, well, I, I guess you probably would have maybe seen it a few of them over the last few days. I guess um, the likes of Alan Hansen and and John Kiley and and those amateurs who were playing alongside the pros over the the last few days. And yeah, everybody there just seemed to be having a, a pretty good time. It was um, Sander Shoffley who actually ended up winning the whole thing in the end. He was uh, the leader going into day two. I'm not sure if there was a whole pile of people there to try and uh, see who would actually come out on top. I think there was only one man that people were there predominantly to see, and that was Own Tiger. Uh, of course, yes, yes. Um, and Tiger was kind of uh, moseying around in his in his uh, buggy again yesterday. Midway through his press conference, that was interrupted by the beeping of the reversing uh, golf cart, reversing right up to the stage on which he was speaking. So um, the, the, that has been kind of the, the situation around Tiger, how, how he's been able to be transported around this golf course. Because there is this feeling that you know, how much more will anybody? get to see of this guy let alone people in Ireland so I think that probably increased the excitement over the last couple of days and that was that was the show he didn't steal the show that was the show it was it was the Tiger Week What's he, what does he look like when he's walking around like is he kind of what sort of shapes he in he, he's, he is hobbling around like first mm. time you see him he, he, he look, looks like he's walking with a limp not looking like he is walking with a limp and uh, he does he does need to be uh, driven around uh, the course like obviously he's um he was kind of speaking in the press conference yesterday, just to, again, kind of hammering home just the severity of his latest injuries and the fact that he was just pretty happy to be able to have his own two legs, really. And mm. that wasn't even a joke. Like, uh, uh, he, he kind of often uh, says things with a bit of a, a, a wry smile and sort of, um, I, I don't know, embraces the, the, the horrors that he often goes through and his kind of comeback. But I think his general sense is I'm very lucky to have my two legs and to be able to, to walk around with them, which is a, a pretty stark thing to hear. And and it's it's gone beyond the point of diminishing returns at this point. It's it's at the point of uh, like could he potentially walk away after the open next week? I mean, I, I, it's it's almost like a week to week basis every time you see Tiger speak in front of the media at this point. 
What's the what's the whole tournament like? Cause it, it seems like a uniquely Irish thing, and the pull of JP McManus is quite staggering. Like in racing, he's kind of revered as um, he almost has a philanthropic kind of attitude to racing. That like he has loads of different trainers, and um, that he some of whom he probably helps to keep in business because like they're they're low grade trainers or whatever. Um, and he has like horses spread out all over all these trainers all across Ireland and Britain. Like so, there's obviously it's a unique event, I guess. It is. It, it, it is kind of bonkers, really, that this is happening on our doorstep, isn't it? Like the, this collection of, of players, especially a week after the Irish Open, when there is uh, supposedly an actual uh, competition happening that the, the best golfers come for this. Like, it, it is interesting. I think like Shane Lowry was asked in his press conference yesterday, just how does JP do it? And he said, I don't know how many times I've been asked this question and I'm still not quite sure. And one of the things that he actually pointed to was that uh, he thinks that of um, the golfers that, that, that are married uh, and uh, and have wives, that they get very looked well looked after. And uh, I, I presume that's probably his own experience. It's probably the experience of a lot of the golfers that were out in the course, that maybe it is just this perfect slot on the calendar for them to kind of be in I don't want to say holiday mode, but like uh, to be in family mode, uh, you know, before they go to the Scottish Open, before they go to St. Andrews, before the, the second half of the season properly clicks into gear. They can still play with the best. They can still play in front of huge galleries while also making sure their families are well looked after. So that that for me probably is a, is a bit of an incentive. And, and obviously, um, it seems to be something that everybody is is in on. Everybody wants to be part of this. It's it, like it, it is still a it's still mad and even after being there for two days you, you still don't quite get over the fact that like you're in Limerick and uh, the nine of the top ten golfers are, are there and there's no kind of like um, there was no sense that they wouldn't be there there's no surprise around the place and the access that people have that the, the, the galleries would have had to those players just to kind of wait by um holes get 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 photos with them get autographs whatever it may be uh, that, that access is pretty insane as well you do feel like there's a slightly Irish element to it. I know we think we're great and all mm. that, and we're a great bunch of lads, but, like, I don't know, people probably enjoy coming to Ireland, and maybe, I mean, maybe there's a, sort of an ease of access there, and, like, you just feel like you can maybe let your guard down a little bit, relaxed. That was kind of my vibe from it, anyway. Exactly, yeah, I think that's pretty true. Like, even just from a media standpoint, it's a very... What's the word I'm looking for here? It's a very, it's a very forgiving atmosphere. Like I mean, yeah. you'll have covered, um, you'll have covered a, a lot of events, Johnny, and we we know for various reasons that uh, in this day and age, it's hard to get access to players. But uh, communications managers, PROs are very protective of those. Try to people. manage the message. It, exactly. Whereas this was. <laughs> this was a free for all. As long as the the golfers themselves are happy, and like I mean, Bryson and his and his coach are, are quite close knit. And if you try to get too close to to Bryson, for example, he will literally push you away. And he, he's like, "We're going to the putting green. We're working on our stuff." And that's totally fair. Niall Horn had a lot of security around him. You can't get anywhere close to him. But by and large, it is a free for all. And if the golfer or the celebrity is happy to chat to you, work away. You don't need to be like sending emails trying to to book uh, interview time or anything like that. And what you have is situations like Nathan actually getting face-to-face time with Jordan Speed, somebody who deserves a restraining order against Jordan Speed actually getting time with Jordan Speed. That that's kind of the the outcome here. So uh, it's it's very unique from a media standpoint as well. I don't care much for golf, but like your interviews, uh, Alan Hansen. I mean, evoking a lot of memories of match today, even before the game last night. Uh, 
uh, Life of Riley comes on um, in Tala and like your nostalgia overload about the, the gold of the month music and all that and I uh, saw the Lighting Seeds actually play in Leopardstown recently a lot of uh, a lot of nostalgia coming to mind and then I was thinking of Alan Hansen and you know growing up watching uh, Match of the Day and like not winning Anthem with kids and you met him Mm. Yeah, yeah, and uh, like I mean, this is one of those situations where you don't see him on television all that much anymore. It's you it, don't it, him him being on TV is not a, a normal thing. It's it, it is a nostalgic thing. It's particularly nostalgic, uh, even for me. I think maybe our is our levels of nostalgia maybe a little bit different or our areas of nostalgia. But I think maybe one of our crossover nostalgic points might be Hanson. I think just one of those people who was consistently on our televisions, regardless of of what age you were. Alan as a child. Royal and the band, obviously. Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's a, a bit too early for bad jokes. Like when you do the OTBM shift, it's like because the, the taxi driver started talking to me straight away at half six, and I was like, "I'm, I think I'm going to go for a nap when I go home." He's like, "Oh well, when you say that, it's probably true." This shift is a bit more difficult on. Uh, yeah, I guess you could say that. Then again, you get a good run of the day. You do get like, a good run today. The there's so many different activities, especially during the summer. You can you can partake in. So, uh, like, I mean, I, I think yeah, we should be appreciative of having this opportunity to be up and speaking to the nation at seven o'clock in the morning. Absolutely. So tell me about Hanson anyway. What was he like as a bloke? Did he come across the same way? Um, was he the Alan Hanson of old? Has he aged and so on and so forth? Yeah, yeah. Like, he's, he's, he seems like an absolute gent. I mean, uh, if you watch the interview, he is trying to get away from me at all points during the interview. Like, he's <laughs> sitting down on the wall and every answer he is he is standing up if, uh, while I try and get one uh, extra question in. And, like, I mean, he, he seems to be pretty positive about the Mo Salah news. He, he doesn't have any plans to go back into punditry. He wouldn't comment on who his favourite pundit is. He's a tall man. He's still in good shape. And, yeah, they, they're my um, cliff notes from uh, the Liverpool great that is uh, Alan Hansen. Um, still, uh, I, he could still do a job on the match of the day couch. Let's just put it that way, and I you reckon. T- you spoke to Martin O'Neill as well. did, actually. forgot about that. Martin O'Neill just kind of passing by, caught him maybe a little bit unawares. Just, uh, again, he wouldn't really kind of speculate on whether or not he was planning to go back into management or anything like that. Uh, wouldn't say if he, he misses football, but uh, it seems that, that he thinks Stephen Kenny's doing a, an okay job uh, as Ireland manager, that um, he's kind of like uh, suggesting that he needs to, to stay strong in his convictions when it comes to his uh, philosophy and his style of football. And like, I know that there was like quotes around before the last game, it was, it was maybe after the Armenia game, so somewhere in the middle of that mega international break last month that he was saying that uh, maybe he'd be under a little bit of pressure. I definitely got maybe a bit of a softer tone off him that um, he'd like to see him do well. He'd like to see uh, this, this style of play work out, but he does need to, to stay strong and to uh, believe in what he's doing. I was, uh, I was relegated to the media kind of like... Uh I don't know, the, the substitutes bench in Tala. Even in Tala Stadium, I wasn't deemed worthy of uh, the actual media area. So I was put into the overspill, which meant that Stephen Kenny was actually sitting like two seats in front of me. And like, it was mad. He's just like, talk about a man of the people. I think one kid came up to him for like a photograph and that was grand. Um, but then he was just like completely left to his own devices um, and like just relaxed and joined the game, stayed for most of it kind of vaguely celebrated the Shamrock Rovers goals mm. and you have to remember on as well he keeps going back to Tala and like Tala has a lot of like good memories for him as Dundalk manager but ma- like bad memories his nadir as a manager was when he was the Shamrock Rovers boss left probably in a bad way like I'd say mentally you know it was it was not a job that went well he, he inherited a dressing room maybe that like 
they weren't his players or whatever and it was a bruising experience and I think it, like you, you you know, you, you look at Stephen Kenny front of you last night and think like you were in Tala before and you were going nowhere as a manager and now you're the Ireland manager and it is a, you, you do kind of think like it's actually an example of what you can do if you build from like setbacks. Yeah. What what was last night like in general? Was the place absolutely hopping? Well, so I I was like I was actually like a professional journalist in the sense that I arrived at half six last night and. Um, Ashling O'Reilly being there like was a sign that this was big and everyone was just congratulating Ashling on her recent engagement she was almost like a star of the show despite the fact that she goes to very few League of Ireland games so it was like this is a little bit Ashling puts her hands, hands to so many sports now it was like this is a little bit different there are media here like who would normally be here but the thing was on it was like 7,000 people at the game and like this has just become an habitual in Tala now and like when I got the bus home you get the feeling that Shamrock Rovers after their nomadic kind of existence, the Shamrock Rovers had like a big following. But now they kind of have a Tala following as well. So they have kids who like grew up in Tala and the surrounding areas who go to see Shamrock Rovers. And like, there's a really good vibe to the place. You feel like you're at a football event. Um, it was like, the only thing missed was the Champions League music, which wasn't played beforehand. But they've given themselves a serious, serious chance here. Like they were missing Jack Byrne. Danny Mandroy, who's obviously leaving, Graham Burke, three of their biggest marquee forward players. They still won 3-0. Rory Gaffney from Toome, star of the show, probably should have gotten sent off. But they've given themselves a real chance now, and they should be in action in Europe for like until the end of August, essentially. Yeah, nothing, nothing's going to happen. Like the, the, the Gaffney situation... Like he's he's good to go for the second leg. There's not like a sort of CCCC. CCCC. I no, I don't think so. And it was like as the point was made. I mean, I'm not a fan of VAR, but I, it, it, sorry, this was this was actually mad. So there was a small Maltese contingent, like slightly to my left, and they were apoplectic that Gaffney didn't get sent off. Uh, that such is my understanding, anyway. And I I missed the incident, and then my brother was text me all oh, he should definitely have been sent off but there was a real like um, kind of the real moments between the Maltese fans and some of the Shamrock Rovers fans the stewards had to come over then the Gardaí had to come over and the Maltese fans were like we are the visitors here why are you not nice to us effectively and it did get slightly out of hand for a couple of minutes but then when you see the um, the replay back you can see why right a good set of fans the Hibernians, like, yeah. uh, will you be making? Would you be like? Would you like to kind of welcome them back and make a trip maybe over there one day? Like, is Malta the sort of place you'd go to? It's like quite hot, like touristy, small. I'm sure it's quite nice, but like, wouldn't be sort of necessarily mad on the list, that high in the list. Like, what about the uh, Malta national anthem? I actually don't know. It. I was thinking of this yesterday. I don't know the Maltese national anthem. Maybe I'll have to. Um, to um, yeah, recap on that, but let's talk football. Actually, I'm getting notes there. Uh, I have to get a coffee in, but let's talk about Kerry. Your prediction on Kerry? This is straightforward. On Kerry win. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. Like I, 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 I don't know what sort of information you're being fed that would suggest well, that. Conor Callaghan, be... obviously. Yeah. Like that. Do we know that. You, well, like, the rumors aren't great, and you watch the game um, defensively against Cork in the first half. I thought this Dublin team just does not look what it was, um, and I think Carriers going through the motions. Discuss. Yeah, like, but a, a team going through the motions isn't necessarily a team that's going to win an All Ireland semi final. Like, and I think that that criticism has been kind of like labelled um, or levelled at them, I should say, after the, after the quarter final that maybe they, they weren't looking. Uh, amazing that day and so maybe they are just going, going through the motion like I, I don't know I think there's just like so much secrecy when it comes to these sort of things uh, in the build up and I think that the uh, team news is of such importance that it would actually be foolish to 
definitively say who's going to win on Sunday unless you actually see uh, proof or, or, or get full news of, of who's going to play. Because if Khan doesn't play, I think Kerry will win. If Clifford doesn't play, but Khan does, Dublin will win. If they both play, it's going to be a very close game and Kerry might edge it, I think. Um, if Khan is out, I, th- I think the most significant possible team news that could come out is that Khan's not playing. I think he's, he's more important to Dublin than Clifford is to Kerry. And really? That would, of course he is. Like, I'm not saying he's a better player, but like, who comes in for David Clifford if he's out? Killian Spillane, who has the experience of like banging one past Stephen Cluxon in the 2019 final, who's an absolutely outstanding corner forward. Who comes in if Conor Callaghan's out? You know, like, and uh, that bench for Dublin this year has been their weakness. Starting 15, you can maybe make a case that they're better than Kerry. And that might be the reason why they beat Kerry this weekend is because their team, their starting 15 is just better and they have a big enough lead to be able to withstand um, any sort of drop off from the bench. But I think that if you take Con out of the out of the team, and the importance that their open play uh, forward play is is based around him, um, I, I think that that would be a bigger loss to to them than losing Clifford would be to Kerry because Kerry have other options. Indeed, they do. Um, can't wait for it. Obviously, we will have um, we have a cracking show, which I'll actually mention now um, in terms of what's coming up. OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We start with Emma Byrne. Um, the women's Euro starting in front of, I think, the guts of 75,000 fans tonight. So, um, massive, massive time for women's football and showcase across TV uh, over the tournament. 8-10, Andy Mitten. Oh, yeah, more uh, Ronaldo chat, Man United chat. This The taxi driver was very keen to talk about Ronaldo uh, this morning. And, um, yeah, it's just like the show goes on at Man United. Andy Mitten, I can already hear him just kind of like giving out about what's happening at Manchester United. That's at 8.10. What is going on ahead of their Asian tour? 8.30, we have the sports pages. Um, very, very busy morning. Lots of celebration of Rory Gaffney and Sharma Crover's uh, win. Uh, 8.40, we have the sports news coming up. Uh, that's with Colin Milani. 8.50, Kevin Walsh is back in the house. You might remember Kevin was on before the Galway Armagh game and he gave a very good appraisal. Thought it'd be close. Uh, I think he went for Galway and he was right. And we'll talk to him about uh, the Derry game coming up. Jeremy O'Sullivan, the rock in the house. 9.10, this is a hell of a coup. Uh, Cork obviously unveiling their new manager. And what does Jeremy make of the new setup? Has he reflections on the Kingston reign? And what was that tweet about? Let's get to the nail of it. What was he trying to get at? Uh, and if you haven't seen the tweet, stay on till 9.10. Then we'll have some OTB reaction uh, at 9.30. Um, and that is Wally Green, a fascinating guest in last night's show who revealed uh, that ping pong uh, saved his life. Uh, and that is all coming up. Uh, tune into Off the Ball each day this week, uh, where thanks to Sports Ireland Campus, we've daily prizes of 200 euro vouchers that can be used towards membership at their elite gym facility and pitch rentals for your team, kids sport academies and camps, or a family visit to Aquazone Water Park. Plus, an amazing overall prize of a 1,000 euro voucher, a money can't buy a behind the scenes tour and a sports team fitness testing session by an experienced strength and conditioning coach. It's all thanks to Sports Ireland Campus, the home of uh, Irish sport from beginners to high performance, and everyone in between. Here we go. I believe we are joined by Emma Burno. Good morning, Emma. Good morning. How are you? What time of the world is where you are? It is 10 to 9. We're an hour ahead. You are in Spain. I am in Barcelona, yes. Beautiful. 
tell me about this tournament. They, I, so I'm looking at like the the, the kind of um, expectations last night. It's actually very very open in terms of like four or five, maybe even six teams you give a realistic chance to. England starting in front of massive, massive support against Austria. Northern Ireland involved as well. See that brilliant Swedish team that we all know so well from Ireland's World Cup qualifiers. This is a great time to be alive for, for women's sport, women's football. Absolutely. And it's definitely something that I'm, I'm looking forward to this year. Um, it's just been getting better and better every year. And, you know, this year, I feel like it's it's even it's even more exciting because of the fact it's so open. Can't really pinpoint any particular team to win it because there are so many teams, and you know everybody usually would go for the likes of Germany or whatnot after them, you know, holding the title so many times. But um, it's uh, it's definitely open play for everyone, and I think it's going to be an absolutely brilliant tournament. How much is home advantage and advantage? You think? I think it's a massive thing, particularly for for England, as you know, the sport has been growing so much and they've been building the momentum up to this. I mean, they've been basically planning for this for the last three years and and they've been doing a great job. And, you know, the crowds have been picking up at the the home games in the WSL. And I think they're going to be they're absolutely packed out. As you know, they're they're selling out the the stadiums, few complaints that they're not playing in, in the bigger stadiums. And I just think it's going to be great. You know, everybody's supporting England in England, obviously, and they're going to be there, you know, at the games, building that atmosphere. And I think it's going to be a fantastic uh, atmosphere all around. Yeah, I think Boris Johnson probably needs some feel-good vibes. Uh, he, he might he might uh, latch himself on uh, what, <laughs> what's going on. Um, and it's just, I guess, like, this is a probably a chance him as well for people who don't necessarily watch like women's football day in day out they get a chance now because you can't escape this it's going to be on your TV screens you're going to get wrapped up in it and like the progress that like women's football has made in recent years this surely brings it on to another level again yeah it does and it does every year and I just think that the fact it's in England as well you know, supposedly the home of football and um, the FA supposedly. are really, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, the FA are, are, you know, they've pumped so much money into it, um, into the league, into the national team. I just think it's it's perfect timing for women's football, and women's football is at that point where it's just gaining so many supporters. It's very visual. It's it's in everyone's houses at the moment. And it just is going to kick on from this. I think it's going to be just absolutely massive. And as you said, I think people who haven't watched it that much before, I think it's going to gain even more supporters. And, you know, just even walking around, I was in Manchester last week in um, in by Manchester City Stadium. And just the, the advertisements, they've posters of all the different players just when you're driving up the main street up to the, the city campus. And it's just already the, the atmosphere is brilliant and they're doing a great job. They they really are advertising it. Yeah. Yeah. And no, like if 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 say Northern Ireland are involved, but if like uh, Vera Powell's team was involved in this, I I think there'd be massive massive interest uh, in the Republic and like as you say like about Tala the 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 growth of Tala Stadium. A lot of the chat last night was about like the women's internationals in Tala and how cool that has become and the relationship between the players and like the fans in Tala and obviously. We, we we can cheer on like Northern Ireland or whoever in this tournament, but like this would be massive at Ireland qualified. It would, it would, and it, it's what we need. Really, we need to qualify for a major tournament to to kick on from where we are. And 
Um, you know, it's, it's in a good place at the moment. Uh, got a really nice fan base. When you go to the games, there's a really nice feeling and mm. really feel like the fans are, are are behind them. But qualifying for a major tournament is on a different level. And, you know, it's, you know, success breeds interest and, and we need to build that. And for us to do that, we do need to kick on and qualify. And that's pressure on the girls. They, they realize that as well. You, you mentioned England there a moment ago, Emma, and I think that's kind of like a, a perfect example of, of pressure and how hype has got to teams in the past when it comes to their men's teams. Is there any danger that that becomes the case with their women's team this summer? And even just when it comes to expectation, like if, you, if you're looking across the, the previews uh, ahead of the tournament, there's a lot of people picking this team out as potential winners. Like all of the Guardians writers, bar one, are predicting that England will reach this final. I think when you, when you look at the last couple of years going out and getting Serena Beegman in to succeed, Phil Neville looks like an outstanding piece of forward planning and kind of a, a note of intention that they're out to, to win this tournament. How does that balance itself out with the, the expectation that is obviously going to hit fever pitch over these next few weeks? Yeah, I mean, it, it is pressure. It's pressure for the team themselves that they're able to handle that pressure. That's what they're there for. And, you know, it's, uh, I don't know who said, I think it was Billy G. Billy G. King that said that it's a privilege uh, to, to be under that pressure type of thing. Um, you know, it's typ- it is typical of the of you know the press, the English press, to build them up, and um, hopefully, hopefully they will uh, succeed because I think that has a knock on effect for Irish football as well because we're so close to them and we channel into their their TV and their media. Um, so I'm hoping they do do well uh, for our sakes as well. Um, but it is a lot of pressure for them, and you know, being at home it, it is an advantage, and they're going to enjoy that and in the atmosphere and in the stadiums. But it is more pressure, and I know personally, I preferred playing away from home, just being away from my my usual surroundings, so I can really focus. So some of the girls will enjoy playing at home, and then others would have thrived playing away from home. But uh, that's normal. That's all in the game. And, you know, these girls have been playing a very long time. They have a lot of support behind them. They know how to deal with it. They have psychologists um, coming into the tournament. And, of course, they're physically in shape. So now it's just about how they perform mentally. And um, they've worked on that a lot, the, the English girls particularly. Do you expect any curveballs in terms of how they approach this competition? Like Emma was just saying, off air that Leah Williamson, for example, actually plays as a midfielder for England as opposed to the, the centre-back that we probably are more familiar with her playing uh, for Arsenal. Does Wiegmann tend to, to mix things up when it comes to their club position when they put on the white of England? Um, I, I definitely think Leah would be the one that she's not sure of where to play. I think Wiegmann is... I'm not sure if she knows her, her first 11, which is a little bit um, would be kind of worrying. But Leah playing in midfield it just gives the midfield that extra, you know, solidarity, the, the, the defence in midfield. I think she's very, very good in there. They need a very good holding midfielder because of the midfielders they have, very attacking minding. Um, so they need that anchor midfielder. Um, however, it, going into a big tournament and you're not playing in that position week in, week out is really difficult and you do get found out against these big teams. So uh, it's a really difficult decision for her. And personally, I wouldn't put Leah Will- Williamson in midfield in that holding role just because she doesn't play in there week week in, week out. Um, it's really difficult because they don't actually have a great player to, to, to play in there and they've got fantastic attacking midfielders. So, um, 
Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw her in there as, as the holding midfielder, but basically she'd be playing as as a third centre-back and she'd be sitting right in front of those, who whoever she decides to play centre-back as well, which is another decision. Yeah, well, let's cut to the chase here in terms of the groups and uh, expectations. So England, Austria, Norway, Northern Ireland, Group 1. Uh, Kenny Shields, Northern Ireland boss, obviously, ex-Derry City in the League of Ireland. Um, well, lots of uh, interest there in terms of cheering him on. Uh, England raging hot favourites in the first game tonight. You can imagine the, the atmosphere uh, in front of 70,000 fans. Is this a question of England, England winning the group and what finishes second, or how do you weigh it up? Um, I think, well... <laughs> Norway actually are my team that I think uh, are going to be quite dangerous and, mm. and a team that we're not talking about enough. Um, so I actually think Norway are going to top this group. Um, I think it's going to be a battle up there for Norway and England. Uh, fortunately, I don't think Northern Ireland are going to challenge them um, just because it's their first tournament and the lack of experience and, and etc. Um, but... I actually think Norway are, are going to do really, really well in this tournament. I think they've players going into the tournament that are, are on form. As you know, Hedda Hegerberg has come back. She was absolutely excellent in the Champions League final and, and seems to have a, a point to prove, or she looks like she does. Um, so I actually think Norway are going to be the surprise team in this tournament. And I think England are really going to struggle against them. How good is Hegerberg? She's she's excellent. I mean, she's just a fantastic forward and for me, it was a shame that we haven't seen her in the last few years. And it's something that, you know, we want to see the best players on, at the tournaments. And obviously she was she was fighting for a cause that um, we know very, very well. Um, but it's great to see her back. And I wasn't sure how she was going to return because it's really difficult. Plus, she was coming back from a, a very serious injury and a lot of knockbacks in that injury. Um, but in the Champions League final, you know, she was just completely on fire. Her work rate was phenomenal. She was that the the the, the fox in the box uh, type of player. She still has that. Uh, she's very very sharp. And of course, playing with players with the the Norway with their attacking team with Brighton and and Graham Hansen, she's going to get a lot of balls in that area. And she's the player that you want in there to to put them away. So. Yeah, I think Norway are going to do really, really well. So you're predicting Norway first, England second in that group? Yes. Pretty yes. much. A lot of people won't agree with that, but I probably won't be liked very much, but uh, that's that's the way I see it. So the, the big news in Group B is the Pateas uh, injury, which, um, so this is a massive blow for Spain. Germany, Denmark, Spain, Finland, which presumably is something of a group of death here. Yeah, I mean, as soon as the draw, the, they were drawing those names out, I was like, oh, that's that's the group you don't want to be in. I mean, Germany, it doesn't matter what form they're in. They're in a bit of a transitional period at the moment, but you never write them off. They're still really difficult. They're very physical and direct and, and definitely going to cause Spain a problem. The fact Alexia Puteas is injured is a massive, massive blow for Spain, obviously, Ballon d'Or winner. She's a fantastic midfield player. She's basically the engine of the Spanish team. They're they're going to be a, a little bit different, you know. And does it, did it change the way they're play? They play now like slightly because she's not there, or do they stick to their principles? No, they, they'll they'll stick to their principles. But when you have a player in there that links up the defense and the and the forward players like the way Alexia does. And the type of style that they play, it's really important to have that player. 
But it just, for me, it depends on who Jordan Vilda actually puts in there. And I think that's going to be a manager's decision can, can make or break that. And I really hope that he makes the right decision because, again, Spain are in that cusp, that, that, that moment where they need to kick on as a national team as well. And uh, there's only one player that can play in there for me, and, and that has to be Elia Chandri, which you might not know. But um, she actually has signed for Man City this year. Mm-hmm. She's a centre-back, a little a bit similar to Leah Williamson, as in centre-back, and she pushes into midfield sometimes when the Spanish team are short of that holding midfield place. But she's an excellent, excellent holding midfielder as well. And I just think if she plays in there, it allows Bon Matti um, to push on, which is very, very important for Spain. Whereas if they put the likes of Claudia Pina in there, who's an attacking player, Juan Matty has to drop back. Um, and that's that's a massive loss as well. So you're talking about two big gaps in the Spanish midfield. Whereas if you put a Chandri in there, it allows the, the attacking players to stay higher up, which I think is very, very important for the way the Spanish team play. So Spain start off uh, at 5pm in a couple of days' time at Stadium MK against Finland. What's the vibes like actually over there? Like, Is there much of a buzz around the, the, the Spanish team? Barcelona obviously being quite unique in that regard, but like, uh, is there much interest in terms of locally for this, Emma? Yeah, I mean, the, the football over here is is like religion. Everybody, everybody supports them. Um, I, I remember I was teaching a 72-year-old woman and I just happened to ask a football question. This is English, by the way, not football. And she knew everything, <laughs> everything about the, the Barca team, the, the national team. I was like, this is so impressive. So everybody is behind the team. Everybody's very um, educated in football over here. But the fact that Alexia, who is there, they call the queen over here, is injured is is a big, you know, it's, there's a sadness type of thing going on over here and um, a real disappointment. And I think uh, the hopes of, of winning kind of lied with Alexia as, as, you know, the best player in the world. And there's some doubts for sure on social media and just chatting to, to the neighbours and stuff like that. That's all they're talking about is is the injury. Yeah, football is to Spain what Gaelic football is to carry on. <laughs> fair point. So what, what, what did, Patel's got injured in, in a training session, which probably increases the, the frustration over there a little bit as well, I, I'd assume, Emma. Yeah, I mean, they do question the Spanish manager and the decision he makes, and now they're questioning the... The, the period periodization of training and but you can't protect players like that you can't wrap them up in cotton wool and knowing Alexia there was no way you could ask her to sit out at training or relax because that's not her her personality well She's can you imagine like Brian Cody telling like telling the <laughs> Kenny lads in training like don't get injured because of a game club it doesn't work like that <laughs> no it doesn't but you know some players do you know, stand off a little bit or they might take it a bit easier, particularly the day before the, the, the tournament starts. But Alexi is not that type of player and that's why she's one of the best and she is the best in the world. Um, but it's just such a shame one day before the girl doesn't get injured. She turned up for the 2000, uh, last year's Champions League final with a knee issue and uh, probably shouldn't have played but got strapped up maybe got an injection and um, was probably the player of the match. So when I heard she got injured, I was like, I wouldn't believe it. Or I I didn't think it was as serious. 
um, because it happened last year in the Champions League. Obviously, it wasn't as bad of an injury. But um, yeah, when they showed the video of her coming out and, and the fact she couldn't put any weight on it at all, uh, this was before they said it was an ACL injury. I just thought, no, that's it. It's it's serious. It's not good. She's yeah. not going to be playing in this tournament. Group C, um, which looks possibly a shootout between Netherlands and Sweden, uh, Switzerland and Portugal also in it. Lots of Irish interest here. This is a brilliant, brilliant Swedish team. I think a lot of people will fancy them to win it outright. How do we go? Yeah, I mean, Sweden are just, again, it's a team that were in transition three years ago and have come out the other side and are just looking extremely good, extremely fit. The players themselves individually are on top form, which is very important going into a tournament. Um, And I think that they are are extremely dangerous. Um, However, when I watched them play against Ireland at home in, in uh, Tallis Stadium, I was going to say Richmond Park, that would bring me back a long time. <laughs> um, they didn't seem to have a plan B and, and Ireland did very, very well defensively against them. And I feel like if a team sets up well against Sweden and, and well defensively and can stop um, the, the likes of Black Stenius running in behind... I think that Sweden struggle a little bit and, you know, I know they got to the Olympics finals and, and they did extremely well, but I just think the Euros are a different kettle of fish and they've got a higher standard of team and, and more organised and I think Sweden might struggle a little bit when they need to go to a plan B. Interesting. So they, they, it's Portugal, Switzerland starts off the late sports village. Uh, that's in three days' time at 5pm and then later that night, Holland, Sweden... What a massive game, Bramall Lane, uh, July 9th. Uh, so that's the thir- that's three days from now as well, the second game. Um, that brings us to Group D. Belgium, Iceland, uh, France and Italy. Uh, starting off the Academy Stadium, Belgium playing Iceland, 5 o'clock um, in, uh, in four days' time. So this is the, the, this group's obviously t- taking place last. And another fascinating matchups here as well, Emma. Yeah, I mean, this is... This is France's group for me. Um, Belgium are, have done really well to qualify. Watch them in a couple of friendlies. Um, they're not going to trouble France with the, the team that the French have. So strong, such an attacking team. Uh, Belgium won't trouble them. Iceland, very resilient team. Um, I think probably one of the best defensive teams uh, in the tournament. So I think they might cause a problem. I don't think they're going to score many goals, but they might. they'll make it difficult. But again, with a team like France that have the players that are extremely good in 1v1 situations and, you know, we watch the, the likes of PSG, they can absolutely take you apart with their power and pace up front. I don't think uh, they're going to cause a big problem. Italy, however, again, another team that they show up one day and, and they look average and then the next day they look absolutely brilliant. It depends on their players and what mood they're in. If Bonsea plays well um, and is in form, I think the whole team decide that they can play well. So I think Italy might be the ones to cause a bit of a problem, but not much of a problem that, you know, it's going to hinder France's progress. I think France are going to pretty much walk on through that group. Finally, just part of you a little bit envious you're not there? The what, sorry? Part of you a little bit envious you're not there? (laughs) Um, always, always when I'm watching, it doesn't matter what, what tournament or what game I'm watching. I'm always envious I'm not on the pitch. However, um, you know, it is it is time, as I said, for Ireland to qualify. I know the girls, they're so close. They're getting mm. closer and closer. And the fact that Northern Ireland have qualified, 
Um, obviously, we're supporting Northern Ireland. We want them to, to do really well. But it just brings home the fact that we're very, very close and we should be qualifying. It's hard uh, for us not to be there and to be supporting, for me to be supporting our girls. But, you know, that time's going to come and they just have to enjoy the tournament and enjoy the fact that women's football is is totally. becoming a, a massive thing. And uh, there's lots of support for them now to do that. Get the players abroad, get them playing in the WSL and that's going to happen very soon. So finally and quickly, your top scorer in the tournament and your winner. Well, I am going to go for Ada Hegerberg just for the fact that I do think Norway are going to, you know, progress and I think they're going to do extremely well. I think that Ada Hegerberg is going to be on the penalties as well, which for me is very important in this kind of tournament. But all in all, I think it's going to be France that take the tournament. Um, and I just, I think that they're just too powerful, a lot of pace. They've got uh, very strong players throughout the team, very few weaknesses, which is important. And they have a squad that they can use throughout the tournament again, which is very important to to for the longevity of, of the success throughout going through the tournament. So France win at a Hegerberg, top goal scorer. Beautiful, Emma. Thanks a million and enjoy. Thank you very much. You too. Enjoy it. Uh, yeah, a couple of comments coming in. Uh, busy show we have this morning. Uh, just mentioning about uh, Le Tour. Rick Jagger, it's the cobble stage of the Tour de France today. Much watch sport, yeah. So uh, the Tour de France uh, hot, heating up nicely as well. And uh, yeah, so what a what a massive day we have for women's sport being showcased in terms of this Euros. A bit of a Euros like no other, really. OTBAM is brought to you live every morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless uh, finish to your day. The Koi Gig pod returns this week just in time for the start of the UEFA uh, Women's European Championship, which, of course, starts today in England. Kathleen McNamee and Karen Duggan were on hand to preview the tournament. Northern Ireland kicked their tournament off tomorrow night against Norway. And here is a clip from the latest episode discussing how smaller nations can learn a thing or two uh, from Northern Ireland, including ourselves, uh, the OTB uh, Koi, the OTB Koi Big Pod on OTB Sports, in association with Cabaret FC, official snack partner uh, to the Republic of Ireland uh, national uh, women's team, and we're back with Andy Mitten on Manchester United after these. OTB AM. Yeah, where would we be without the never-ending carousel of madness at Old Trafford? Andy Mitten from United We Stand uh, will discuss this. And chiefly Cristiano Ronaldo uh, this morning. Just looking at Miguel Delaney's article um, this morning, Andy, starting off, um, which I'm just reading from the Independent website here. In Cristiano Ronaldo's talks with uh, Mendes and the representatives' meetings with top clubs, a few points have been made abundantly clear. This is no game, nor is an attempt to leverage Manchester United. Ronaldo just wants to have a chance of winning the Champions League again and is even willing to take a significant pay cut to make it happen. Bless him. Bless him. <laughs> I think Manchester United fans, the vast majority, I did a poll on, on Saturday saying, how would you feel if Cristiano Ronaldo left Manchester United? And results might surprise uh, some some people in so much as how many of them wouldn't be that concerned if he left um, Manchester United? 27,000 people voted. 12% said they'd be happy if he left. 57% said they wouldn't be that bothered. And 31% said they, they'd be gutted if he did go. So I think that's pretty much how a lot of Manchester United fans are, are feeling right now. He was a success 
last season. But issues came with him arriving. The coaching staff had no idea that he was coming. He was thrown upon them at the last minute and accepted. Uh, United had to rip up their plans of how they were playing, a style of football which had got United to second in the league and incorporate Ronaldo. But he was a success. Without Ronaldo, United's season would likely have been even worse last year. In the few highlights that United had last season, Ronaldo was responsible for, for most of them. Definitely helped the team get out of the Champions League uh, group stage. But I can argue strongly for and against keeping him. If he stays, he'll be cheered as he's always cheered. And if he goes, it will release a huge amount of money. And Manchester United would probably put some of that money into getting a new striker. There's not a lot of number nines around at the moment. And this is down to Eric Ten Hag. What does he want? It's all right. Fans talking about what they would do. Fans aren't making the decisions between the player and the manager. And Eric Ten Hag is now in charge. And what he wants to do is the most important thing for, for Manchester United. Oh, and he says Ronaldo was a success. He was a success in, you know, in, in, in some metrics. But all the other offensive players did not improve. I've made this point before. Ronaldo may himself have done well, but Man United didn't become any better, in my view. So it's like you can see why that poll would be a little bit divisive on. And like and, and Andy, I was kind of wondering: is there a danger to that poll? Actually, is um, sort of the mood within Old Trafford as well as the mood outside of Old Trafford and in the fan groups that there are people in Old Trafford who literally just don't know. Like the, the majority of people on that poll that you mentioned there aren't bothered one way or the other. That can't be the way the club progresses, even if it is a, a difficult conundrum at the moment. That can't be the way the club progresses if they are unbothered one way or the other, whether or not he stays or goes. You would like to think that Eric Ten Hag and his coaching staff have a pretty strong opinion on this and are either planning for a Ronaldo-shaped team next season or are very much planning for one without him. They can't be stuck on the fence here. You're right. United's view is uh, is not for sale and he's got a year left of his contract. Then again, it's easy to say that. If footballers want to leave a club, then they tend to leave the club. Nine years ago, uh, Wayne Rooney wanted to leave Manchester United and the club did stand firm. Alex Ferguson um, had, had gone and United said, no, you're, you're not going. And he stayed. And he had a really good season that year. But Manchester United were champions when this had happened. United are so far away from that level at the moment. It would be all right if Eric Ten Hag was decisive, but it, it's not just on him either. If he's got a player who's, who's playing games with him, then that muddies the waters further. At the moment, Ronaldo has said that he's missing training this week. For family reasons, United are due to fly to Bangkok on Friday for a long tour. I'm going to go on that on Saturday. Game in Liverpool in Bangkok Tuesday. Games in Australia, back to Europe, then to Norway, then to Old Trafford. Then the season starts and there's a lot of games right at the start. Last year, um, he told Juventus that he was staying and a week later, he left the club. Last April, I was in Milan with Manchester United and a story came out that Ronaldo was going to join Manchester United. And I checked it out and was told there was no truth in it whatsoever, that the story was almost certainly coming from Ronaldo because he realised that Juventus were willing to to let him go. 
So it's, it's not clear cut, and nor is the number of people who could afford his wages. From a football perspective, would he improve any of the best teams? And I say teams because individually, as you say, he might still start score some great goals. Commercially, he still has incredible value. And that is a factor. It was definitely a factor in Manchester United bringing him back. Commercial revenues, um, thanks to him, um, saw a big uptick. Shirts with his name on outsold. Shirts of every other player combined. And just going to games last year, I remember walking to Atalanta against Manchester United in Bergamo and talking to two Italians. And I said, who are you Atalanta fans? Um, so no, we're, we're Cristiano Ronaldo fans. And he's massive. He's absolutely huge. Uh, my daughter's eight years old and asks me more about Ronaldo than any football team. So he's still got huge commercial power. And as a player last year, um, he had a bit of a slump after Christmas. I think he got one goal and no assists in 12 matches. But Ralph Rangnick stuck with him partly because he had to, because he didn't want to be the person who signalled the final chapter in the career of one of the greatest players ever. Ronaldo will absolutely have his perspective. Um, He spoke out last season when he wanted to. In some ways, he's bigger. It's the biggest personality at the club by a long, long way. And you can cash in on that from a commercial perspective, but he also brings problems because when he wants to speak, he speaks. He's a bigger name than the manager. His last two managers at Manchester United. If he's not happy, is it good to have someone like that in the dressing room? So I can hit you with 50 arguments for and against keeping Cristiano Ronaldo at Manchester United or letting him go. Well, uh, I'm not the one making the decision. Yeah. It's on Eric Ten Hag and him. T- t- if I were Ten Hag, I'd be getting rid of him. I wouldn't care who he joined, whether it was an English club or anyone else. But the, 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 I suppose the question here is, and this has been alluded to in the press, what are the other players thinking? Because there's an implication that a lot of them actually want Ronaldo to go anyway. Well, you're asking me to speak for 24 people there, and they all have very different opinions. Some of them think he's the greatest thing ever they completely look up to him um he's their their beacon in the dressing room and others don't share that opinion so you had a situation last year where you had cliques within the manchester united dressing room and ronaldo was at the head of one group of players and with some pretty powerful players around him people like bruno fernandez diogo de lots and the spanish um speakers and it's all right having different groups of players in a dressing room because every dressing room has got little cliques and groups. When you're winning, when you're losing, then they tend to rub up against each other. You tend to get um, leaks coming out. Well, he's not doing this, he's not doing that. And that's when it became, become really divisive because I checked stories out last year and think, that's come from a player, that. Mm. And that's aimed at going against another player. And that is not an indicator of a of a healthy dressing room. Just the stats as well. Um, 2021, 73 goals without Ronaldo. 2021, 2022, 57 goals with Ronaldo. And I, I just, I do wonder, I mean, mortality and age catches up with us all, Andy. Um, he, he, you'd imagine he's going to regress slightly into next season. Who would sign him? Like, who wants him? And... Like, yeah, who who would sign Ronaldo? Given what you're just saying here, you're you're signing a brand, but you're also signing difficulties. 
you're also signing a very good footballer and one who may uh, make you money. Ed Woodward thought he would make Manchester United money. He packaged up the deal and sold it to Joel Glazer as a commercially viable deal when Manchester United had basically spent all the money in the transfer window on Jadon Sancho and on Raphael Varane. I don't think the commercial side of it has been an issue for Manchester United. Indeed, they want to keep him. Did Juventus want to keep him? Probably not. Who would buy him now? I still think he'd, he'd, he'd score a lot of goals in almost every team. But if you look at the teams who, who were in the last eight of the Champions League and he wants to win the Champions League, then they're very much about the collective. Mm. So you might get an emergency. If, for example, tomorrow, Karim Benzema got injured and actually couldn't play for Real Madrid for a year. There might be an example like that where they get Ronaldo because, you know, he can come in and do a job and there's history there. But it's a hard question to, to answer. He's, he, he earns that much money that it's a problem. So he would have to take a pay cut. What's your sense on the likelihood of Chelsea wading into the, to the Ronaldo conversation? Good question because they've got a new owner. And he seems to be playing real-life football manager. And <laughs> maybe he thinks Ronaldo could do a great job and would be great for Chelsea commercially. I don't know what the thinking inside his head is, but my eyebrows have been raised a little bit by some of the goings-on at Chelsea. I'd love to know what Thomas Tuchel thinks of his new owner. Uh, maybe they'll walk away happily into the sunset and Chelsea will be... Fantastic! They're current world champions, and things will carry on being great for them. But I don't know. I think Chelsea's losing some some good people, but it depends which version of the truth um, you want to believe. London is attractive to footballers as a place to live. Chelsea have certainly got money; they pay absolute top top wages, and they don't stagger those wages either. Unlike a lot of top clubs, it's bank. You're getting this. You're getting this every week. A lot of clubs, including Manchester United, heavily incentivise their, their wages. So I think if Chelsea's new owner wants Ronaldo, then that's a probable. Chelsea wanted Wayne Rooney back in 2013, but Manchester United said, no, you're not going. I think it'd be much more difficult to keep Ronaldo now. Live comments this morning. Any club that signs Ronaldo now is just a vanity project. And uh, that's from Albie Littlewood, which, of course, uh, Only Fools and Horses fans will get the reference. Um, I, I tend to agree with that. And the cool people, Andy, the cool kids of tomorrow, they were Ericsson on the back of their Man United shirts, not Ronaldo. This is a big, big story as well. Well, he's a, he's a good player. And if the manager wants him, um, you've got to back the manager at United of been too drawn by names mm. and individuals in the last nine years uh, and I said a few weeks ago uh, exaggerating I said if Eric Ten Hag wants to bring in a player from the Dutch 8th division who nobody's ever heard of then give him the power to do that I'm not saying that um, Malathia who signed from Feyenoord is of that level because he had a very good season last year but very few Manchester United fans have heard of the new left-back mm. even a week ago. And it's got to build a team. United have, have gone down this road of bringing in big-name individuals and everyone's been taken by them, including myself. When Bastian Schweinsteiger signed, I thought, great, great player, German 
World Cup winner Bayern Munich, and he and he flopped, just as Alexis Sanchez flopped and Radamel Falcao flopped. There's a really strong miss rate for Manchester United's um, signings. So Ericsson, he'll be welcomed like all signings are. They all benefit from that flush of optimism, and if they're not performing, then pressure builds up very quickly on them individually. There's a lot of hate around from Manchester United fans towards Manchester United players. Uh, one who's almost certain to go is Andreas Pereira going to Fulham. Mm. United will probably make £10 million on him. He's not good enough to play for Manchester United every week, but he's a decent footballer and he's a decent lad and he's a hard-working pro. And Manchester United need to be smarter in the sales than they have been. Just, like just go back Pereira. there. You said, you said the word hate. It just seems very, very strong, Andy. Like that, that, that's, and you, you were watching from afar... Um, is it that level of kind of festering resentment, hate you'd even say? I'd say online hate, mm. crucially. It's very, very different inside the stadium at matches. I think the players and the managers feel very supported in real life, but online, you've seen it. You've seen the news stories around it. It's awful. And it's not just Manchester United uh, either. I saw um, Andre Gomez uh, for Everton announcing that he was back in pre-season training yesterday and got a lot of abuse and that's someone who's been very open about his mental uh, well-being in the past so we could talk for two hours about about social media and the cesspit that a platform like twitter can Mm. be but when you're at manchester united it is so high profile that people are jumping on you and abusing you um straight away you know one misplaced pass and you're getting abused it's absolutely ridiculous so when a team like united lose six consecutive away games, that abuse really boils. And yeah, I'd use the word hate and I'd, I'd stand by that. What about Frankie de Jong? This is fascinating as well. Is this going to happen? United's understanding and my understanding is that Barcelona want to sell him. Uh, Eric Ten Hag absolutely wants him. I think Frankie de Jong has been almost perfectly happy in Barcelona living in a city where he wanted to live in for a long time with with his partner, been a good player for Barca, not a great player. I probably watched him 20 times last year. His best game was against Real Madrid away in that 4-0 win. Uh, Xavi likes him. He earns too much money for Barca. He'd have to take a, a pay cut. Um, so I'm presenting you with the facts there. If you're going to ask me yes or no, I think it's probable that he will leave Barca for Manchester United. I don't know of any other suitors. And I know Barcelona very well. I speak to a lot of people at Barcelona. And I don't know of any other suitors for him at the type of fee that United and Barca have been negotiating for. So there's a lot of brinkmanship around at the moment. Barca are saying, we don't need to sell him. The president, John Laporte, has been pretty strong with that in the last week. Those words could only drive the price of the player up rather than down. Imagine if he said the opposite. Yeah, we want to get rid of him as soon as possible. Then that plays absolutely into Manchester United's hand. But he's the number one target for Eric Ten Hag and for Manchester United. I spoke to a lot of coaches in Spain a couple of weeks ago about him, people who, who view football at a professional level, and they were absolutely glowing about him. I was surprised because I watch him with my own eyes. I can see there's a good player there. And they were saying he can be so much better than he is because he's played in the wrong role at, at Barca. So if he signed for United, I and many other Manchester United fans would be excited by that. Give us 
briefly your your starting eleven at the moment for next season as we stand. As we stand, um, De Gea because Henderson's gone. Left back, oof, Luke Shaw, but <laughs> I'm going oof because there's now three left backs. Uh, yeah. Um, Raphael Varane, Harry Maguire, a new highly motivated Harry Maguire because he had a poor season last year, which was highlighted along with a lot of other players. Right back, oof, difficult one. Delo, but I'm not watching him in training every day. Central midfield, Dijon, Eriksson, uh, Jaden Sancho. Everyone is just waiting for whether Ronaldo is in this team or not. Keep going, Andy. I don't know the answer. <laughs> you have three more players. You only had four, three you know, at you the know, moment. A man came up to me the other day. I was covering the Tour de France in, um, in Copenhagen, and, and I quite like getting off football for a little bit because otherwise it just fries your brain. Fries your brain. You need to get off the carousel every like hour anyway. Well, I couldn't because Sky rang me in the UK and said, Ronaldo wants to leave. Can you come on TV in one hour? I'm just at the finish line at the Tour de France. And then a man put a camera in my face, a Manchester United fan, and started filming me and said, yes or no, is John coming? Yes or no? Yes or no? <laughs> and I learned, I learned a long time not to answer questions like that. When in 2003, uh, a work colleague of my, of my then partner said, David Beckham, yes or no, is he coming to Barcelona? And uh, I said, yeah, he probably is. And then for like three months later, he was giving me abuse because I was wrong. But <laughs> was there any any advantage to me giving him that answer when I didn't know the, the full a- answer to it? Ronaldo, um, I suspect he will go. Um, and I might be wrong there. I think Marcus Rashford will feature strongly, but he's got to perform because he hasn't been doing. Uh, Anthony Martial's another interesting one. Not been performing either. Really poor loan spell at Seville um, and then the, the old favourites McTominay Fred Tenog has probably not decided I'm almost certain he's not decided who his starting 11 is going to be against Brighton in a, in a month's time and he's got a month to work through that what I am hearing is very good things from the training ground about him on the grass um, about his directness about um, the drive and that's after a week or two from multiple sources. After a week or two of Ralph Rangnick, I was not hearing that. And when I communicated that, Manchester United fans just didn't want to hear that. No, no, no. Tell us the version of the truth we want to hear. Um, but with Ten Hag, I'm, I'm hearing good stuff. I heard fantastic stuff uh, about um, um, United's um, last... Dutch manager, 2013. And Louis van Gaal had made a wonderful impression and pre-season was fantastic and Real Madrid were destroyed and United staffers were going up to van Gaal saying, thanks for bringing this club back, thanks for bringing the spirit back. And then the team lost the opening day at home to Swansea City. So beware of the false pre-season profits. Yeah, the, and the, 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 sorry, go ahead on. Andy, I'm just going like, to... So, so, sorry, what's, what's the team here? We, we got to... De Jong, uh, we got the Ericsson and we had Sancho. So your, your front three is Rashford and who else? A couple of notes here. This team is so bad, that defence. This is actually coming from upstairs in OTB. And apparently, Andy, you've picked more than 11 players, which might help for Man United next season. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know the answer. I'm all <laughs> over the shop with where the team's going to be because I don't know. And I don't think anybody knows. 
if you want to hone it down then yeah okay i'll say uh ericsson de jong as 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 the as two um it's really hard really hard question ask me uh Ask me in a couple of weeks when I'm on the pre-season tour in wintry uh, Melbourne or wintry Perth, and I'll give you a better answer when I've seen in my own eyes. But if you want to ask me about the Tour de France, I'm right up to date on that. Well, when's that, actually? It was it was amazing. Um, I'm not a cycle journalist, and I was interviewing people like Gerard Thomas. Um, I, had a, I had a rider uh, driving the car I was in. I was in the, the Shimano neutral service car, which was in the middle of, of all the riders, and he was a Dutch rider who'd been in Stephen Roach's team in 1987. And I'm not a massive cycling fan. I've done a couple of long, long rides. But I remember Roach coming round the corner at La Plange as a teenager and seeing that on television. And I swear it's one of the greatest moments in sport that I've ever seen. I think he was catching Pedro Delgado. And I don't know what you had on Irish TV, but on, on British TV... It was something like, who's that coming around the corner? No, no, it can't be. It can't be. It's Roach. It's Stephen Roach. And I remember thinking, this is magnificent. At a time when no British riders came close to winning the tour at all. So to have someone from pretty nearby, I, I took great pride in that. And on Saturday, to be with someone who was in his team, who won the first stage that year in 87 when Roach won it, was brilliant because I could just soak all this information in from him as he told me about the tactics of the tour and what was going on and sort of nod and pretend I knew what, I, what he was on about. And it was really nice. And I counted football shirts along the way. Liverpool won. Liverpool fans listening to this will be delighted about that. Manchester United came second. And, uh, well, Denmark won, actually. So I'm going to take that trophy away from <laughs> Liverpool, just like Real Madrid did with the European Cup. Yes or no? Is he on the uh, trip to Asia? I'd be surprised if he was. Andy, well, thanks thanks as that. ever. Take care. Um, yeah, Andy showing us his football now. Just get rid of Ronaldo, Manchester United. Why are you even procrastinating here? Anyone with any sort of a football brain knows that this is a calamity. He's getting older. He's bigger than the dressing room. And now he wants out, despite the fact that he's, uh, I don't know, how, how, how well has he wanted elsewhere? Lots to discuss. Uh, OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, tune in to Off the Ball each day this week where, thanks to the Sports Ireland campus, uh, we have daily prizes of €200 Euro vouchers that can be used towards a membership at your elite gym facility and pitch rentals for your team, kids' sport academies and camps or a football visit to Aquazone Water Park. Um, an amazing overall prize as well of €1,000 voucher uh, and money can't buy behind the scenes tour and a sports team fitness testing session by experienced strength conditioning coach it's all thanks to Sport Ireland Campus the home of the Irish sport uh, from beginners to high performance and everyone in between here we go it's time for the sports pages there are so many idiots out there so many spoofers there's a lot of horse I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He's a bullsh**. Ah, no, I'm a, come on, don't, don't be, no, I'm not, yes. no. Cahill Milani's in the house. Hello, Are you watching oh. Tallow last night? Yeah, I saw a bit of it here in the office, Johnny. Um, very comfortable, wasn't it? Very, very comfortable. It was, but like you've these moments as well. Like Rory Gaffney scores a third goal, should have been sent off by that stage. And then, like... Shamrock Rovers should have conceded. Mm. Uh, they, there was a one-on-one, and it was it was like 
it, it seemed like the striker had literally about 10 seconds to decide and it was almost like he had too much time mm. um, but it was a great fight there like 7,000 people the Maltese made their voices heard and yeah yeah it's it's um, Sligo Rovers have their European tour uh, upcoming as well League of Ireland in Europe is going to be fun I think this year yeah and I think there's a bit more of an expectation would that be fair to say around the clubs that they're expecting now to do well in these competitions and it's it's the onset of the um, the conference league that it gives that sort of expectation and like last year we obviously had um, just bows like in a co- in those COVID times restricted attendance is bringing so much fun to Dublin and mm. so on so what's going on with you? Well lots going on um, this morning in terms of the sports news we'll start with that game at Tallis Stadium last night and Rory Gaffney saying that Shamrock Rovers fitness was a significant factor in their win over Hibernians the Hoops won their first round Champions League qualifier first leg by three goals to nil at Tallis Stadium Gaffney got on the score sheet alongside Dylan Watts and Ronan Finn the second leg takes place next week I don't know would you go along with that assessment or fitness was superior yeah, well it's just this is the thing like when summer football came in like it's not it's not easy for the Maltese team out of season to especially when uh, I like Shamrock Rovers had like if you took Danny Mandroyu Jack Byrne and Graham Burke out of a League of Ireland team like they're three of the most talented players possibly ever to play in the League of Ireland in terms yeah. of raw ability they're all offensive sort of midfield type players one of them is leaving, the other two are injured. And Rovers still brought on players at the end. This this kid, Justin Ferryjai, came on at the end. He was one of three Albanian-Irish to play for the under-17 Irish team in Turner's Cross last year. Mm. Like, Albania, tiny country. You had Rocco Vata, the Rudy Vata link, Kevin Zeffi. And this kid, who's probably less heralded than the other two, he looks a footballer. And he was coming on at the end. And it was like, even with all those players missing, they're fit and they have these players to bring in. Yeah, yeah. and the depth of their squad is probably I think it'd be a very a huge disappointment if they didn't get to the conference league group stages at the very totally. least. It's the one thing missing from the Bradley Reign that they haven't been to the group stages. It's not that they've done badly and like group stages are, are odds against for an Irish team, mm. but it's the one thing missing I think from his story so far. Yeah, and he looked I thought quite relieved last night that they got over the line you probably spoke to him after um, I thought just his demeanour that it, it felt like a weight off his shoulders that they did get a result in Europe and it was pretty decisive and it probably does put the tide to bed you would think maybe one more goal would have made it a little bit more comfortable yeah like and he went he, he went up at the end and like um, he went up to the, the Roars fans at the end and he did this like kind of exaggerated weight yeah. for a roar and it really got the place going and like spoke to Ronan Finn afterwards the, Stephen Bradley's son is, is, is struggling with illness at the moment it's a really difficult time for him and I think it's a it's a special dressing room at the moment as well yeah and there looks to be a great vibe in the Shamrock Rovers the whole thing and you say the crowd was good 7,000 there last night which is fantastic and let's hope they can keep that momentum going it'll be great to see another Irish club succeed on the European front and then you say the two clubs tomorrow and then St. Pat's obviously Mm -hmm. are also through and then the obviously knock-on effect and you know more about this than I Johnny but the the money that will come into these clubs if they can get through a couple of rounds is hugely significant in terms of planning and infrastructure and the whole lot totally and like the League of Ireland has been like a basket case uh, economically because you know you didn't have your proper prize money but now you have like quite a few clubs making money from transfers and that European money as well yeah now the Mandroyo transfer is uh, yeah is, is a dent in terms of the progress that the league has made and that as you say, one of the most talented players in the league is leaving for such a paltry sum. And also the move is probably a surprise in terms of the team that he's moving to. You would have thought that uh, Danny Mandroyu may have caught the attention of some bigger clubs cross-channel and, and further afield in Europe as well. It, 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 I guess it gets you on the ladder, though. And that's the, like the, the, 
you know, you, you talk about Owen Toll has been linked from Derry City with Bolton. Like Bolton's a massive club. Huge club, yeah. Even though you're going to that level, like your three tiers or whatever uh, of the English system, um, I guess it gets you on the ladder. And for Mandroyu, he's played League of Ireland for so long, I could do- totally see why. Once you get on that ladder, see where you go. And England is still the draw. Like, And I know that the money is small, but at the same time, um, it's kind of an outlier for Rovers, I guess, in terms of the deals they've done. Yeah, and the when Stephen Bradley was linked with the Lincoln job, I have to say I was struck by the research that Dan McDonnell and others did into Lincoln mm. in terms of the size of that club. And they're in, what, the fifth tier? Am I right in saying that of English football? Or they're, they're not in the league, yeah. in the league structure. It's, uh, they're it, in the it, National League, aren't they? Lincoln. Yeah. Yeah, Lincoln are, um, what are they down? They're in, I think they're League One, are they? Lincoln. Are, you, are, we, are we wrong? Lincoln City? Yeah, but the, the 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 size of the club and the crowds that they were attracting oh. for for a club of that size that I would have thought you know they're not really on the radar from an Irish point of view. Uh, that yeah, they're League One. Yeah, fully it's like, aware would, of. Would you get like Bradford last season in the fourth tier getting like fifteen thousand at their games? Mm-hmm. Like Sunderland get like forty thousand. Like English football crowds are insane. Like and mm-hmm. even the likes of Lincoln, as you say, um, and we, we there was the expectation that Bradley would go to Lincoln. It was ex- you know it's, it's an next step in the ladder. He probably, I think the one thing we have here is like you want your family to be in Dublin as well. And I think that's a big decision for a lot of people. It's like, do I move to England and bring my, my whole um, kind of family over there? And um, it's just massively to Shamrock Rovers' benefit that Bradley didn't go. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, continuity is such an important thing in the League of Ireland as well. And they've got that with Stephen Bradley. And they've given him time to get things together at Shamrock Rovers. And the overall infrastructure and structures are very, very sound, it would appear, certainly from the outside looking in at the moment. And like he was, that's he a huge part of their success. Like they, were, they lost to Dundalk 5-2 and like some of the crowd were shouting for Bradley to go and they struck with him. And look look where we're at now like that. Um, he, they're, they're a very good side, Rovers. There's, like, there's a massive kind of um, swell of support at the club. It's becoming a big deal for a League of Ireland club to be regularly getting 7,000, 7,500 games. And it's just normal for Rovers now. And wait till the big teams, like Ludogorets, likely in the next game is going to be a totally different... Hibernians weren't great now. And I spoke to a couple of Rovers players sort of off the record afterwards and they were like, yeah, they, you know, we were comfortably better than them. Yeah. So, you know, it, it just the stars have aligned a bit for them. Yeah, they have. And they've got to just make sure that they they will deal with next week professionally, obviously, and you would think that they're pretty much home and holes. But then the Ludogorets challenge is really a measure of where you're at yeah. in terms of the wider European picture, isn't it? Totally. And I'd still worry a bit about their lack of pace up front. Like, they'd Green and Gaffney last night. Gaffney had a great game. But when you step up levels, you need, like, an extra gear and we'll see how it works out. Yeah, we'll what we'll, else we got? We'll, well, the Women's European Championship getting underway uh, tonight, Johnny. They uh, England, the hosts, playing Austria at Old Trafford from eight Northern Ireland in the same group they get their campaign up and running uh, tomorrow meanwhile ahead of that European Championship Spain have been dealt a blow their captain Alexia Batayas has been ruled out due to an ACL injury the Barcelona midfielder who was last year's Ballon d'Or winner picked up the injury in training on Tuesday Juventus have reached an agreement to sign Paul Pogba on a free transfer the former Manchester United midfielder is available after leaving Old Trafford at the end of last season Pogba is expected in Turin on Saturday for a medical and then to formally sign a four-year contract. How will that work out? Well, let's see. I mean, again, it, it comes back to his attitude and mentality, you would think. Mm. And obviously he's been there before that maybe he'll be a bit more motivated now to, to do well. But, I mean, it's anyone's guess, isn't it? It is.
It really is. Um, in hockey today, Johnny, a big game ahead for Ireland. They have to beat Germany at the Women's World Cup today to maintain their hopes of staying in the tournament. Sean Dancer's side are bottom of Pool A. They've already lost to the Netherlands and Chile. The Germans are ranked fourth in the world as of this morning and they sit in second in the group and tip off for that game in Amstelveen is at half past three Irish time. So good luck to Ireland in that game. In the tennis today, Rafa Nadal bidding to reach the semi-finals at Wimbledon. He takes on uh, American Taylor Fritz in the last Nick Kyrgios also in action against Christian Garin in the other quarter final defending champion Novak Djokovic and home favourite Cameron Norrie already through after yesterday's action in the women's singles uh, Simona Halep continues her search for a second Wimbledon title the 2019 champion meets Amanda Anasimova in the quarter finals the other last day tie features the Australian Isla Tomlinovic and Elena Rybakana of Kazakhstan Tatiana Maria and Anjabur progress to the last four yesterday and finally to finish some games at Games News Pat Ryan's appointment as the new Cork senior hurling manager was ratified last night the two-time All-Ireland under 20 winning boss succeeds Kieran Kingston while Tipperary are on the lookout for a new senior camogie manager Bill Milani stepped down from the role uh, as boss last night that's after five years in charge We'll stay with you just on the um, the issue of Nadal at Wimbledon just looking up Nadal here what a what a career he's had he's turned 36 this summer and Roland Finn got the first goal last night he turns 35 this year TJ Reid's performance last weekend I was making this point that like the League of Ireland isn't necessarily any country for old men anymore it's like it's a very young league Roland Finn was playing right wing back for Shamrock Rovers like right wing back a position that requires a lot of energy scores the first goal Gaffney's like I think 32 he set him up but Roland Finn to be doing that and his experience uh but just uh, I spoke to him afterwards. He's like my recovery now. It's like how I recover. Mm. And TJ Reid last week, like like that performance on Saturday, like for his age, it's inspiring. It is. Um, the age thing is an interesting thing in sport, and obviously we're looking at different sports there. And you mentioned TJ Reid and um, Ronan Finn. So. TJ Reid, I would imagine, plays a lot less games in a season than Ronan Finn would mm. and at a lot less frequency. So from a sports science point of view, it's very interesting to see how they taper and measure their performance. I guess Ronan Finn, from a football player's point of view, playing in the League of Ireland, the pre-season and getting a good block of work done there, mm. you would think is very important. And then it's just a case week on week of topping up your fitness rather than going through hard sessions. Whereas the likes of TJ Reid, where Kilkenny had a four-week gap you know, between the, the their game the last day and their their game before that in Leinster. Um, how do you negotiate that as a player at that age? Do you need the hard training or is it a case of just kind of minding the body and, and doing your recovery after your sessions? Um, but it's it's remarkable that players are, like, I guess that is old now, isn't it? In the modern inter-county game. It is. TJ Reid at that age. And you know, like, so sticking on the Kilkenny team here, right, so... Talking to Limerick fans after the game on Sunday, Limerick are raging hot favourites to beat Kenny. Fair enough. Who are the neutrals up for? That's a great question. This is this is an interesting one now. So like, there's Brian Cody's yeah. year that he's had, and like, I he, Brian Cody's never been more fascinating as a character as he is right now. Yeah. And even the taxi man this morning is like, how is he still doing it? Like, how is he not giving up at this stage? The man is obsessed, mm. but they're still performing for him. But as a neutral. He hasn't had the greatest year. No, he hasn't. But it's a fascinating... Um, I think Brian Cody won a lot of people back by winning the game the last day. 
I have to say and I think because it's very clear now that he has reinvented yet another Kilkenny team yeah, to almost reach the peak and it's underlined his status probably as the greatest hurling manager of all time and if he can win this game against Limerick who are generally considered as the opposition to Kilkenny's status as probably the best team of the modern era this would cement Cody's status and I think win a lot more people back um, obviously the Shefflin stuff is a bit you know it, it kind of took over there in the middle of the summer but I think now people are more focused on Cody's huge ability as a manager as a man manager as a tactician and argue, you could argue that if they do beat Limerick in this final it would be his greatest achievement yet I agree and I would suggest that uh, quite a few neutrals are actually up for Kenny. Yeah, it's interesting. Who are you up for? 53106 or get us on the social channels. Kenny are the raging hot favourites of Limerick going for three in a row. We have the headlines um, from today's sport as well. And it is a very, very busy day of sport. It's a busy day for Boris Johnson as well. His career, his career hangs in the balance. How has it taken this long for uh, some of the lads to like jump ship? I mean, this has been a sinking ship for so long. Um, so that's obviously the front of the Irish uh, of the Irish Times today. I'm sure Boris trying to latch himself onto the uh, England Euro bid. Um, Chris me quick. United won't sell to Blues. Eric wants Ron sorted, and Gaffney puts the boot in. If you have missed this, how Rory Gaffney was sent off last night, and he's like afterwards, ah, uh, oh, I. I I the lad said I connected, but I, I didn't really mean it. <laughs> um, of course, he's a Galway man. Contracts he's from Tomb, man. I think he might even have bought a gaff and Tomb. Apologies if I'm wrong on that. Come home, Rory. We need you. Come back to Galway. Another Galway great who never played for Galway United. Um, we have a Cloppy Cat. Anfield legend Fowler says the only way Ten Hag will have success is to follow the blueprint used by Klopp in Liverpool that is in the mirror Uh, we also have here the Daily Mail sort this out McElroy backs peace talks to solve uh, the, the, the Saudi crisis God Ireland happy that Sexton is good to go again. Yeah, so Sexton ready for the second test against uh, the All Blacks. Uh, We also have the Guardian here. Um, Boris is on the front, uh, as he should be, obviously, and uh, flying the flag. Norrie battles through Goff and Thrill to set up Djokovic clash uh, in uh, in Wimbledon, which is ongoing as well. A couple of other papers here. The Mirror... Uh, we, we said the mirror Kloppy Cat, um, which is obviously a play on uh, Klopp. Finally, here we have... Uh, these are literally papers I've already gone through. My papers is an absolute shambles. I think probably time to be joined now by Kevin Walsh. How are you, Kevin? Great, guys. Good. Good morning. Yeah, when you were on... I, I, you were on before the Armagh game. It was... Uh, thanks to call as well for the news there. We were on, you were on before the Armagh game. You essentially called... Uh, uh, as close as you could call the madness of that game, you called it that it'd be tight. Yeah, I suppose it it was tight and uh, I suppose after the fact we can all say we we called it right but I suppose it's two unknowns really so I mean it's very, very hard to to break down winners and and, you know and similarly I suppose Sunday coming up or Saturday evening shall I say um, two new teams playing two new teams with, with not the most of experience so it's very hard to call those games. Just going back to the Armagh game, like what was it, what, what was it like from your perspective in terms of your coaching hat on? Because like always, their shooting accuracy. We talked to uh, German O'Sullivan, and he'd be shortly, and he'd be regretting Cork shooting accuracy against Galway in in the hurling. But like Galway shooting accuracy throughout the day, and I suppose as well as that, Kevin, like their mental fortitude to come through what was a kind of a goo situation in sporting terms. Yeah, and I suppose you know the likes of Robert Finnerty, you know, he he. Might be blessed with the with the with the, with the amount of pace that some other corner forwards are, but 
he just his movement and his decision making see ever since a young fella would have been awful awfully good and he just finds those pockets where where he's shooting from I suppose under not as much pressure as others with their head down would be and it shows, it shows I suppose the the difference between being a, a very fast player and a smart player and uh, you know Robert had brought an awful lot of that full forward line as, as in just, just um, accuracy and high success rates I suppose of, of shooting so he'd be one he'd be one of the, the big things in there but look at I suppose they're, they're patient to be fair to them um, they you know got like 15 behind the ball at, at times like uh, I would have expected and I, I remember saying this when they played clear in the last in the league game two games from from home in the league that it was 1-2 each and a half time and Galway were completely behind the ball from and, and you know what rightly so because they've, they've now got a plan and um it's about the quick transition and as you said, you know, that your efficiency in front of goal is is, is really important. That was the thing on as well, wasn't it? Just Galway shooting um in in the modern game, you need that and they did not waste. No, no like, they, and sorry, and they didn't, didn't. And, and and to be fair, you know I, I, I'm not so sure the same space would be there against Jerry. Mm. Um I would have felt you know, there's twenty minutes in the first half done goal against our man, we've said it's the last time where I think Donegal won that period nine points to two and I think they had about four goal chances in that, in that time so Derry probably won't give up those goal chances um, or even given the likes of Robert Finnerty as much time as he got uh, because they'll have the area bl- bl- blanketed and uh, I would say that they're a step ahead in relation to their defensive programme um, but it'd be interesting then to see like I mean I saw Armad there were seven points to four up against Galway and, and whether they were listening to the outsides about the, the lovely kicking game or not but they tried to tread in uh, and numerous kick passes before half time, and they weren't really on because Galway had, had, had the back covered up and, and, and they hit them in a counter. So they're going to, you know, it'll be how patient Galway can be on, on, on Saturday as well with that. Like, do you subscribe to this idea, Kevin, that the, the, the timing of your tactics is as important as what the tactics are? Because it does seem to me that Derry have had a habit of scoring these early goals all throughout the championship. And it is that early soccer blow that if Galway can just ride out the storm early on, they could potentially be a little bit more adventurous into the second half of the game is in the balance. Yeah, because look, it's even, you know, if, if, if you were leading at half time, you know, it's it's a big plus, in particular with with teams that I suppose can go well set up, especially defensively when you're hard to break them down. So it'd be kind of important that Galway aren't behind Derry at halftime because Derry will sit and they and and they're quite good at it and they'll sit and they'll hit you on the break. And I mean, you know, the, the, the their full back line uh, will be coming off the shoulder. Every one will come off the shoulder and uh, they'll hit on the counter attack. So it would be very important that Galway are solid in the first in the first while uh, so that Derry don't get that chance to to sit back and hit on the counter every so often. What did you make of Galway defensively against Armagh, actually? Very strong. Uh, it was it was great to see it. Um, you know, I suppose the the start off, one big thing, I suppose, and I hope Galway may have, may have improved in this, is that the kick-out strategy. They were bombing a lot of balls just down the middle, um, kind of aimlessly, and Armagh tended the game control a lot of that in the first, uh, which probably led to 7-4 lead for them. So I'd be hoping that maybe... You know that the kickout strategy will be a bit stronger, and that does allow you to be defensively set up better, which Galway were in the, in the, in the latter part of the game. Um, so they're getting bodies back, and they're they're understanding what to do and hitting the counter. So defensively, we're we're, we're, we're strong, uh, but again, I'm mad they kick ball away that they shouldn't have done, and I don't see Derry kicking the ball like that uh, if if Galway get back with the numbers. 
Just just psychologically as well. I remember like mm. 2001, remember reading the paper the next day, the Irish Independent are like, Galway are on the cusp of dominating football for a long, long time to come. They hadn't won a championship game at Crow Park, a knockout championship game between then, 2001 and the Derry game. So it is a monkey off their back. Yeah. Um, I suppose, look at that's the way things go. Um, 2001, we were, we were a lot of young fellas came through and we had a lot of also older fellas that were I suppose ready to go to the gap. So sometimes, it, 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 sometimes we never replace you, Kevin. We never replace you. Uh, I'm not so sure that. Though, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, look at it. It's about timing is, is, is vital, and and to get younger lads in with with with, with experienced lads there. And I suppose God, we had that at the minute. Like there's probably seven or eight that were there playing 2018 when, when we when we better carry up there in the championship in the in the, in the super eights. So. Galway probably have more experience of, of the bigger game in Crow Park now than actually Derry. I know you speak about Galway not winning 2001, but yeah. Derry, Derry have been there for, for, for young. So, and they're coming from Division 4, Division 3, and still in Division 2. So, you know, Galway have four or five years behind them in Division 1, albeit went back down for one year. So you'd have to say that experience alone is certainly sitting on Galway, even though the record in Crow Park for a number of years hasn't been great. But in the recent past, though, I think that's kind of shifted a little, a little bit. But, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be, look, it'll be down to, can, can Galway take this Terry, Terry defence apart? Uh, and that'll be quite difficult. Yeah, we've had a lot of nostalgia on the show this morning. Alan Hansen, uh, I slightly, uh, I jest when I say we never replaced Kevin Walsh, but there was a, uh, the post-Kevin Walsh uh, midfield did uh, kind of struggle. One of the men who came in uh, 20 years later is the brilliant, brilliant and uh, almost enigmatic Paul Conroy. And he is part of one of your four key matchups here. Conroy versus Connor Glass. This is the first of your four, Kevin. Yeah, uh, look, at for Paul has been, I think he's, in the last 14, 15 games, he's, I think he scored something like 127. Mm. So, you know, he's been shooting the lights out and his shooting efficiency has been top class as well. So, Look at Paul, and Paul is 33. He's rebounded very, very well since the double break of the legs. And uh, look, he's totally committed to what he does. Um, so I suppose, you know, this is his first first big one, I think. I think as in kind of having to deal with the likes of Conor Glass, uh, who looks to be, you know, a similar steady-headed midfielder, uh, solid, not just doing little bits and pieces here and there and, and then stepping out of the game for 15 minutes. So this is going to be a huge test for Paul and a huge test for, for Conor Glass. So I think, the middle part of the field with those two guys is going to be crucial for, for the outcome. Um, but again, you know, the kick-out strategy is going to be huge on that. So sometimes it's bypassed. But if it is anything like it was in the first 15 minutes against Armagh, the man-to-man battle is going to be crucial. So that one of the battles I see will be a hu- going a huge way towards towards winning this game. One of the big questions <clears throat> for Power Joyce will be who picks up Shane McGuigan. So who would you put on him? I would think Sean Kelly would probably want him. Um, you know, Shane has been really, really good. He's, he's quick. He can use both feet. He's a free taker. But again, you know, the way Galway, as was their success, and sometimes back in our own time, lots of success is built around double teaming as well. So, you know, sometimes it's not as simple as just 1v1 or who's doing well against two. But when you go inside in the full back line now, um, you're probably going to be double teaming. I think anybody in today's game it would have an open full back line the forward is going to go on top and uh, regardless who's on who because it's just the way the game has gone the crossfield balls the you know, the V cuts the screening all the stuff that goes on in today's game uh, if you haven't got a double teamer you know you I suppose there's a way of saying it you, you delay you deny and you defend and if your team are not the first two 
defending it were very difficult. So, regardless who takes up McGuigan or Comer on the other side, there's going to be a certain amount of double teaming involved. That brings us on to the third matchup. Damien Comer, strangely enough, was actually sort of peripheral in the game for a long time. The last day, Kevin, then did come good and obviously was involved in the melee or whatever. He's going to, him and Brendan Rogers now is your next one. Yeah, that, I think that's a huge one. Um, look, and to be honest, I've been at the game the last day. Comer, I think, done a bit more than people think. Uh, he was involved in, in quite a bit of setting up people and just being kind of awkward for the opposition and uh, obviously I think he got three points in play as well so like Is it the fact that he attracts so much attention because sometimes like he's double marked and so on as well Yeah Yeah absolutely and look at it he's also a goal threat and people Mm. know he can get get goals so you just can't leave him isolated and again would the Derry want to do that or don't want to do it they won't believe him isolated because that's the way they play now so they have the defence set up they're plus one plus two back there so there's going to be a limited amount of space inside for the inside forward lines, I would I would predict. Um, but I mean, there's, there's two things here with, with that with that battle. Can, can, will Comer be getting the points? Will he get the freeze? Uh, will he get a goal in the match? And then you look at Rogers. For me, is one of the best fullbacks the last ten years. You know, his ball control, his fitness, his athleticism. He brings an offer to the game. It's not just marking, and he will be bombing up the field. Will he be taking Comer with him? If Comer brought back so often. Will he gas out a bit, which he can do yeah. because he's such a big man? And you know, I would expect that in that battle that um, Rory would be telling Rogers to up the field as many times as he can. So it's it's how can Galway then maybe swap or whatever it is to, to to protect Comer not to get cast out. That's interesting because it felt maybe in, in the first quarter of the game against Armagh where Galway were really struggling that Comer looked gassed a little bit. It might have just been because he, I was in the Cusick and he was right in front of me. That, Comer that always looked, looks gassed on, though. That's just the look in his yeah, face. But, but, but what, what was kind of interesting to me was that he was kind of like just hanging deep and actually collecting the short kick out off the goalkeeper. And I was like, this is supposed to be your, your, your target man. I, I know he, he's not necessarily there. He comes out deep all the time, but he was collecting the short kick out was the, the, the first man to take the ball up the pitch on, on occasion in those first 15 minutes. That, I, like, I'm not sure, is that a tactical instruction? Kevin, is that something that Comer does himself? Or, or, or what do you read into the moments like that? Because Derry will have that packed defence again and he might have to, to do that this yeah. weekend. I suppose when a team is on top and winning ball and, and that's why the midfield battle there as I would have said is going to be crucial because if you win enough ball all the backs nowadays are, are heading up that field and you know if you don't follow them or go with them you're being deemed as lazy or, or, or whatever your, your thing so either way you will find yourself back there if your team isn't in possession because you're going to be run at and that's why I'm saying that Derry full back time will probably push as much as they can number one is supposed to take the guys out of the scoring zone <clears throat> number two take get on the end of scores themselves or set them up and number three if you do uh, we'll say do your analysis and you feel that you can run a certain player I suppose to make them a little bit gassed out um, that's another ploy so that's going to be crucial on that but you, I suppose you have no choices really unless your midfield area gets control that you will end up back and look if you look at Galway last week including Arma, there was 15 by not, not 14 there's actually the goalie wasn't even uh, there. My goalie wasn't even in the, in the half once where all the goalie players went back. So I suppose that's something that Galway have been working on and that they're willing to do to get their, their defensive system right. I think the matchup that we're all expecting is that Shane Walsh will be picked up by Chrissy McCaig. You're not going to make a case <clears> that's not going to happen, Kevin, I presume? No, I, I, I expect McCaig will, will, will pick up Shane. Um, and I, you know, and I'd, see, I'd just seen an article he wrote himself <clears throat> about a week ago where 
he said that whatever job he has to do, he'll do. It might mean not even looking at the ball once. Uh, he will be he will be looking at his opponent. I think he, he more or less said that. Um, <clears throat> so I do expect that he will be the man mark for Shane. That's going to be a crucial crucial uh, one as well. And I suppose you know Shane himself. I suppose coming to, to the bigger games around Crow Park in relation to getting on the scoreboard and stuff, there's something there he needs to prove for himself as well that he he might be a bit more involved and find a way if he's getting if he is getting attraction that uh, that he can get into the game a bit more often and that his teammates can help him to get into the game a bit more often. If that takes you know screening or whatever it takes to allow one of the more skillful players to get on the ball, that's something the team I hope will have worked on to allow Shane get some space but that's something uh, explain that, that Kevin open. actually I find that fascinating explain that if you can well it's just that you know I mean you know in the GA we, we have an awful habit of running running all the time trying to get loose and you know the one way you lose an opponent is by change of pace or change of direction that's the two that's the two things that you is the best way you lose an opponent now, if you're being stuck to and everything else players need to calm down and just stand for a while get your opponents or your 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 colleagues with you join you in a certain area and try to get you free. Little things like that that you can work on in training because you'll you know, winning a ball out in lane one, lane five for your best player or your most skillful player, you're not gonna score in those areas. So sometimes the defense are quite happy to let you win the ball out there. Uh where in actual fact if you could win the ball in the middle three lanes by using your 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 own teammates, you're in a far better position. So it's just like I suppose for Shane and McKeag, it's it's that's a huge huge battle to see how much Shane will get involved in, in, in the game. Uh, can't wait for it. And Shane Walsh's performance uh, had had a <clears> bit <throat> of everything the last season. So I want your predictions for both semi-finals, Kevin. Actually, now. Yeah, I went slightly with Galway the last day, even though it, it went to penalties. I believe with the more experienced team, um, they're still the more experienced team than Derry are. I think Derry have won an Ulster this year from Division 2 which is a huge achievement um, don't believe that um, Ulster is as strong as it was I think Tyrone have come back a lot mm. when have come back a lot you're looking at I suppose Armagh who only spent one season in Division 1 you're now with Derry in Division 2 so I'm going to call Galway slightly but there's a there's a but there and I think the biggest but here is that Galway have the patience number one that if they don't get a fast break, that there's a pace not to kick ball inside uh, if Derry are completely matched up at the back. Because I do believe Derry are far stronger at the back than Armour. And uh, if they've got their runners based coming through in the right areas, not just run all over the place, that they, they, they're they a bit more, how do I say it to you, send them one, one and two and three, it's a third runner in the same areas to, just to pull that defence apart. And again, if Derry are like that, that they will bring out their full forwards to the outside and have runners off the shoulders to break down the defence rather than leaving two inside mm. and hoping it'll work out. So there's loads, there's loads of stuff that's there that's, uh, to break down the defence. And that's the biggest thing for Galway. What about the other game? Uh, I believe, and I don't know, I have no confirmation that Conor Callan might be in trouble mm. and injury-wise. I think if he is, uh, I'll be honest, I can only see one winner. Um, I thought Dublin against Cork while they won the game by 11 points or 21 points they don't have a goal threat at the minute uh, with the lies up front um, uh, McCarthy and Conor Callaghan are absolutely huge for Dublin and I think if either of them aren't there I'm going to call call Kerry if both are there the fact that Dublin are on their home ground it's worth 5 or 6 points to them it'll be really really tight 
Uh, but if I'm going to call it Conor Callum's best, Kerry will win um, handy enough. Thanks a million for your time, Kevin, and enjoy the game Saturday. Welcome, guys. Best of luck. Yeah, Kevin Wall, it's always fascinating to hear from uh, the former Galway manager. OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs. For an effortless finish to your day, here's what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio today. At 1pm, we have uh, Catherine Switzer. 3pm, Koi Gig, uh, England v Austria preview. The match is at 8 tonight. 4pm, the retro panel. Uh, we look back on Limerick's 2018 All-Ireland win. Do we really need to? 6pm, uh, OTB Gold, James McLean. Uh, 7 o'clock tonight, OTB is live. Joe Malloy is uh, back after his uh, like like Owen enjoying himself at the golf this week uh, follow off the ball across all our social channels subscribe to our YouTube channel and be sure to download the OTB Sports app for the latest in the best sports content and analysis after the ads we are live with The Rock Jeremy O'Sullivan fresh and departing the Cork uh, hurling backroom staff talk to you shortly OTB AM we're going to Jeremy O'Sullivan very very shortly you just see the back of the sun today Ryan's man for Rebels um, Colm uh, who's uh, our producer from Cork he's been doing the sterling work setting up uh, guests in the mornings but he did set up German O'Sullivan before this news so uh, this is very helpful Pat Ryan was unanimously uh, ratified as Cork senior hurling manager last night um, I find the whole Cork thing fascinating Owen because like you look at the game against uh, Galway they should have won like straightforward Galway should have Galway got out the gate that day should have won um, and then you see how close Galway end up uh, pushing Limerick you see the situation where Clare get a hocking from Kilkenny and like there's a there's a big hurling narrative which we'll talk to you about shortly in terms of Cork is still a very very uh, alluring job for uh, the new, for the incumbents and they could be a force obviously mm, yeah it's a, it's, a, it's a hugely attractive one it's like the yeah, one of the biggest jobs in hurling right now. I mean, you've obviously got the traditional three that, that Tommy Walsh always talks about, isn't it? Doesn't he? The, the Cork, Kilkenny, Tipperary uh, situations. They're going to be three counties that scrutinise, get, that get scrutinised more than any other. Cork is definitely one of them. The, the, the Cork hurlers in Dublin football is almost the two most uh, high profile set, setups in the country, I, I might venture. Um, that we, we might come back to that at a different point because I, I suggested there would be a couple of people who might disagree with that. Yeah, we all know German from be it uh, soccer, uh, hurling, or Gaelic football. Cork people, they really, really get behind you when you're doing well. It can be difficult when you're not. How are you keeping? Good lads, how are you doing? Oh well. Um, just firstly, actually, can can I just get your views on on the hurling last weekend? What a weekend we had! Yeah, even though I wanted it, I guys, I was um, I was slow to sit down and watch it, but um, I suppose the the Gail and me uh, eventually came around to sitting <laughs> down watching the watching the couple of games, you know. Despite um, yourself, yeah, just despite myself, just to just to make it even more difficult, just as it does was starting to to settle. Um, but you know, we're hurling people. We love hurling, so we uh, you know, we we'll, we'll always watch it and we'll always be enthralled and intrigued by what actually happens, you know on game day, how the four sets of players go out, how they perform, you know, how they put on a show and a spectacle for, for the hurling fraternity of the, the, of the of the country and further afield. And I don't think um, last Saturday or Sunday were, was a letdown to let down to the game of hurling by any manner of means, you know? It's obviously, it yeah, it's, it's obviously just very raw the way you're talking there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I just came in at the end of your conversation there like hurling's a game of fine, fine, fine margins. Um, you know, we went out to Galway a number of weeks ago uh, on fine margins, and and Galway, you know, last Sunday, they'll argue the same case. They, they had enough opportunities to to to, to dethrone, dethrone Limerick as well, and you know, 
if you don't take your chances against the against the better opposition, that that's you know you'll find yourself out of the competition. Just yeah, and you mentioned that. How many regrets do you have about that game in in, in some stadium? Because like Galway got got in my view, they got completely out of jail. It was just one of the, them days where you you maybe you hit wise, you hit the ball in the goalie's hands, you miss goal chances, and then that's like you talk about fine margins. But you, you, how could you not have so many regrets about that? You end up losing by a point, and if you have XG and hurling Cork win that game comfortably. Yeah, look. If you want to go down the the, the analytical side of it, we had 55 opportunities in goal. Um, I think we think took was a 23 or 24 of them. So, guys, you know, you don't need to be a genius or a scientist to work out uh, where do we need losing the game was there. Um, is there regrets? Absolutely. Were we disappointed? Absolutely. But, you know, on the day, our guys gave everything they had. Um you know, as you said, some of them opportunities didn't come off. There's no one held in bad light because of it. If you look at last, go back, even go back to last Sunday again, Galway had similar, similar opportunities they didn't come off. So look, if you're investing so much time and energy into the game, um, you know, and, and you're at full throttle all the time, when you're trying to execute, these opportunities won't come off all of the time. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and patronise any of our players or, or any of the Galway players or player players or anyone for that matter because the intensity levels they're working under and the scrutiny they're working under are ferocious. And of course, there has to be room for, you know, I won't use the word failure. For There has to be room for, for, for mistakes to happen within the game because, you know, their time on the ball is, is so precious, so little, and the, the intensity and the pressure they're under is, is absolutely it's incredible. phenomenal. It's absolutely like if you it's watch, you watch the hurling now, Sunday off the charts. It's, it's unbelievable. Off the charts. Like the hurling, the level of hurling now in terms of the physicality and the fitness, and the, the stats have been borne out. Like watching that game on Sunday was incredible, and like you're talking such fine margins here, like literally split seconds. Oh, guys, it's incredible. Like if you cannot control the ball within one or two seconds. And probably Less. move the ball onto the guy in the next position, or even have a shot at a score. You're swarmed. You're done. You're done. Two to three second window, like in a game, you know, where the ball can travel faster than any man in the field. It's it's just incredible to think that guys are no conditioned to be able to, you know, to do what they do over the course of 75, 80 minutes in a game. Uh, Dimmer, can you talk us through the aftermath of that defeat and the decision for Yeza as a management team to step away? Um. <clears throat> Yeah, look, I suppose the aftermath, as, as we alluded there with a goal, look, it's still a bit raw with us. Um, you know, the, the fact we went out because we believe we made a commitment to our to our squad that we get them back to Crow Park again this year. Um, we fell short on our commitment. It wasn't from the, the lack of effort or, or the want of trying because Kieran Kingston is a very, very honourable man. And, you know, he will do everything not only for the backroom team, for the group of players. And, and unfortunately, um, you, you know, we fell short and, you know, it, it'll, t- it'll take a while to, you know, to, to, to move move on and, and, and the memories to, to disappear, I suppose. But, you know, the aftermath, um, okay, there was the offer of another, of another term. Um, you know, Kieran had, has given... 12, 13, 14 years of his life to, to being a selector, manager, mayor, foreign, or whatever you want. And, you know, he, we, we just felt probably it was, it was time for a new voice. So the option was there to, to hang around next year and it was because you didn't get back to Croke Park. It was essentially the, the reason why you, you didn't decide to take them up in that offer for another well, year. No, not, not essentially. No, there's, like, there's, probably, there's, there's probably other reasons behind it that I'm not, that I, you know, 
I'm not going to share with you guys, obviously, but ultimately, Kieran's decision was look for the sake of for the sake of the option and that year. Look, maybe best place someone come in now, get a get a two three year term and start to put their own stamp in it. How how hard is that, Jeremy? Though, because you are literally talking such fine margins here, and like it's not an ideal way to go out at all. I mean, Cork are now forgotten about in the championship. We move on and and so on and so forth. But did you not want that one more chance to kind of put put right the wrongs of Torres? Oh, guys, if, if if we could run that, that clock back again to that day, but unfortunately, we'll never get that day in our lives back again. Um, yeah, you can go. Look, there's two ways of looking at it. Yeah, absolutely. Would we have loved to right them wrongs? Um, you know, you look at the other side of the coin, could have got pear shaped again. You know, could next year go pear shaped and we might even get out of Munster. Yeah. So, look, you're, 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 you're balancing. Um, you know, we, we feel we've done, you know, we've left car curling in a healthy position. We, we've left a very young squad behind us. And I've no doubt, excuse me, I've no doubt with the with the group of players that are there, um, they're more than capable of getting back up on the horse and riding them wrongs for themselves. Yeah, I, I, I actually think like the Galway defence actually managed Limerick in some respects better than they did year running games. They just kind of got out of jail. That's my point on it. Incredible proud to stand with Kieran over the last three years. Thank you for everything and staying true to your vision. Scrutinised to the extreme by those who wore red. Stood on the line as red so they could remain relevant through various media outlets when they walked the walk, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Mark, Jeremy O'Sullivan, this was your tweet. Uh, the rock on the pitch, the rock off the pitch. There's an awful lot to get through there. And this is your moment to explain that tweet. Oh, guys. Um, <laughs> you have 10 how, minutes. How long is the programme? Because, <laughs> okay, look, it, it's, very sim- it, it's very simple, right? Social media has now become society, right? And a lot of things are, 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 driven, through, are driven through social media, etc., etc. But through that, you need to find balance, right? Good luck um, with that. You know, and, and that's impossible. But if you look at it, there's a number of guys in the game, Martin. Look at Paul Murphy, right? He's one of the most balanced guys I've ever seen to talk about the game, Martin. To be fair, Eddie Brennan, similar, James O'Connor, right? They're very, very balanced guys. Um, and they're fair, but judgmental at the same time. Um, you know, I think that's, and I think that's what anyone is looking for, but... I suppose Kieran has worked under some of the most scrutinised conditions any intercounty manager has faced. Um, you know, I do believe that Cork is still the most attractive. Cork manager's job is still the most attractive in the country. Demo. Some people are probably looking at their computer screens already. What is this guy on about? That's my opinion, right? Um, as we know what to say about opinions, but that, that's another story. Um, I do I do believe it's the most uh, prestigious job on hurling. Um, but again, it's the most scrutinised, and you know whatever about national media, etc. Some of the, I suppose, some of the harshest scrutiny has come from people within Cork. Um, people who've been? worn the red jersey, people who've stood in the line, doing certain roles uh, as part of Cork setup, etc. So, you know, it, it, it it's tough to take in that circumstance. You know, it's tough. It's tough. To, it's tough when you're own turn and you uh, and you haven't started it, to, to throw slide mar- strider marks, um, digs. You know, who though, Joe? Like who? Like I, I don't know the local media. Who are you referring to here? Oh, sure, no, guys. You're on social media as much as anyone, but uh, you know, I'm not. You're clever enough to figure out uh, uh, what what has what has been going on um, over the last while. Um, you know, our training venues are questioned. Our loyalty to Senior players have questioned that we alienated them, along as you know various various other things. 
So look, it's a it's a minefield if you want to dig into it. You know, I've no doubt you'll find all that information for yourselves. So you're referring to like you know maybe the Horgan decision that he didn't start, um, and I, I'd imagine now like. People forget that this is an amateur game, right? And the scrutiny sometimes is way over the top. And from your perspective, that must be a pain in the hole at times. Absolutely. But lads, opinions are like arseholes. Everyone has one, right? So that, unfortunately, that's the world we live in. Um, you know, there was a guy, right? Let, let, let's be straight, right? There was a guy questioned our loyalty to, to senior players, had we alienated some of them, right? The same guy who questioned our loyalty once he was deemed surplus to requirements by Kieran, you know jump ship on the very club who gave him the opportunity to, to play for Cork and move back across the border. So, you know, there, there, there's certain little elements and little things in around this that, that are very, very hard to take, you know? How, how does that seep into your thinking then, Dermot? Are, are you on social media yourself or, or how does it become apparent to you that this sort of stuff is, is being said? As much as you try to, to block it out, guys, it's it's always seeping because all, there's all, you'll always meet someone during the day or the course of uh, of your week and say, Jeez, did you see such and such a fella? Did you see this guy's podcast? Um, did you read this guy's report? Did you see this guy in the Sunday game? As much as you like to keep it out, you'll always get fed back into you, but you just have to you just have to switch out. Um, we believe we gave everything to the cause. We did everything in the right in the right manner to to bring car curling forward so you know we can we can move out of the job with uh with our with our heads held high um over the course of the last three years so you know 20 21 22 20 and 21 were you know dictated by covid some manners this year was probably the first first year that we got a real crack at the championship so yeah look we can go with our heads held high so, so, so just to sum up it was it was people criticizing the the, the training venues that's the loyalty to older players and uh, I guess it's, it's something that you can't avoid and yourself and Kieran are talking about this is is it a, a thing that the, the, the players are talking about as well and, and does it feed into their performances no absolutely not myself Kieran Pat and Noel not for one second did we give it any thought because we knew what we were doing on the field was the right thing um the players okay if you look at it right we, we were on a run of nine out of ten games where we were you know, we were undefeated early in the year. Obviously, the National League final was a disappointment for us, right? But following that National League final, Waterford were the benchmark. They were the team to beat. You know, how could anyone stop them from going up the, the steps of the Hogan stand was the narrative that was built around that. Um, while all the time, while that was going on, we were trying to get ourselves ready to play to play Limerick. Um, you know, so like it, it just brought in a little mini run where every team goes through a dip. We were no different to others. We we had a dip, but it was the way our our um our performances were scrutinised, our, our the way we played the game, the the way we were tactically set up, um, questions around what we were capable of doing it, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It wasn't just you know around training venues or, or the the alienation of um of of older players, you know. So it, it was just a multitude and a mix of things. But we were big boys. We were able to block the noise out, you know. Um, We'd refer to it as Spanish. I can't speak Spanish, so I don't really understand it. So, so I keep it on the outside, you know. Uh, Pat Mulcahy interviewed the Echo on Monday. To be honest, you'd understand national media stuff as they're a bit removed from Cork. It's more sound bites by sound personal. What did hurt was the negative reaction from former Cork players, in particular those who have platforms on podcasts and social media. Some of that stuff came across as unhelpful. And have as having an agenda behind it. Like, I think that that's the important thing there, German. Well, look, I, I can't speak for Pat, guys. Um, you know, I can only I can only talk through what, what you know my feelings and what we what we um, went through during the season. 
an agenda. Um, yeah, some of them guys, if you look through it, there, there's history between certain members of previous previous management, old man, old management who would be involved in our backroom teams. Um, you know, so yeah, there would be history there. I'm not going to give you a history lesson. If you want, to, if you want to dig into it a bit deeper, you'll see the rationale and the reason for Pat's statement because. You know, at some stages through the careers of, of these um, these guys on their podcast or social medias um, have um, have crossed paths with member of management uh, down through the years. Um, just, so, yeah, sorry, Jonathan, go ahead on. So I was just going to ask, like, um, you, obviously we don't want me to go do the history lesson, but is there still divisions in Cork when we go back to, to the very obvious uh, moments of the 2000s? Is there still divisions from, from that moment, do you feel? Uh, on, on, no doubt there's there's underlying issue there no doubt there's underlying currents there all the time um but look once you're once you're in a job like ours um that we've been privileged let me let me let me state that for the record we've been absolutely privileged with myself and Kieran we've had five years um you know privilege privilege is probably doing doing it injustice so, um, but that was the most important thing for us. Yeah, you'll have underlying currents, you'll have everything else. But you know, the privilege for us to to um, to be involved with, with with the Cork Senior Hurling Squad for uh, for five years was, you know, it was um, it, it's it's hugely proud for us and our families. You know, uh, absolutely. But I, I guess then when you look at other setups in, in Gaelic games like Limerick at the moment and what they've done, it's it's everybody getting behind them, rowing behind the team, going into one direction. The Dubs very much got their resources in line and, and, and made the best of their situation uh, at the end of the of the 2000s. Like, do you look at those setups and do you look at those counties and say, if we could get everybody on side in Cork that the potential potentially hasn't been realised and could be realised over the next little while? To be honest, I don't think you need everyone on side. Um, all you need is is the group of players in the backroom team you have Um Involved in a given season to be on side, you know you keep you keep the Spanish out. You you look after what's inside your own four walls. You can only get what's inside your own four walls, right? You can't worry about what goes on outside it because if you do, then you you, you know there's there's too many variables and too many things come into it. So we always concerned ourselves with ourselves. Um, but yes, you're right in relation to, to Limerick and Dublin. They have. You know they've molded they molded something that was really really strong and they're now bearing fruit for us. Just briefly now, so we've a couple more questions for you. Just uh, how do you think Pat Ryan will get on? Wonderful. Pat Ryan is a brilliant, brilliant guy with a brilliant attitude, and I think Pat, with the group of players that we have left and the the, the group of the, and the, a number of players that are coming behind, I think Pat and his income, incoming management team will have a wonderful opportunity to. Um, bring Cork Corning back uh, back to where it needs to be my final question for you is would this put you off going in again all this crap that you're alluding to this morning um, I'm thick skinned guys <laughs> you know let's be honest I it, 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 some of it does concern me because when it comes from your own it's probably it's probably hard to take Um, you know, but the, the, there's reason behind everything why people do this. So look, you can't you can't question per, pe- persons um, the rationale or the reasoning for for pursuing um, pursuing Cork management over the last while. Um, no, I, I wouldn't think so. I, look again, Cork curling in my in my opinion, right? And everyone is entitled to theirs. Um, is the most prestigious job in hurt in the game of hurling. So. You know, never say never to anything. I suppose, I suppose what I'm saying. 
I guess having seen them both up close, Seymour, did it uh, be foolish for us to leave you go without asking you who's going to win the final? I mean, you've seen um, them both. Obviously, the the, the situation with um, Limerick this year has just been one of these where they seem to be back to a level where they're hungrier than ever. I guess two years with, with COVID will do that to them. And obviously, you've seen Kilkenny down through the last few years as well. So can Limerick be stopped, I guess, next weekend? Um, can Limerick be stopped next weekend? Like there were, for years, there was a thing you would be foolish to back against, against Kilkenny, you know, and Kilkenny and Roller in the finals, you know, when the same question was brought there. Um, you'd, be, you'd be foolish to back against Kilkenny. Um, I think, you know, as, no, no, Limerick are so comfortable and so calm in, in every situation, every facet of the game. You'd have to, you'd, you'd be foolish to look beyond Limerick. Well, I know that's a contradiction that you'd never look beyond Kilkenny in a final because what we saw from Brian Cody's team last week was was reminiscent of years gone by. Um, that rawness, that hunger, that aggression. It was. It's incredible to think Brian has transitioned a new team to get to an All Ireland final like that. We faced ninety percent of that team ourselves last year in All Ireland semi final, and you know it was obvious that there was something coming. But for Brian to transition that group, where again, right. He was scrutinised and heavily scrutinised by Kilkenny and the hurling media when, when he didn't step away um, follow, following that defeat last year. So, look, he's galvanised that. Um, but just, you know, Limerick, it, what can you say about them? They're, they're, they're the benchmark. Um, it's just they're longer on their journey, guys. And on, on that basis, you know, you'd have to give them, um, you'd have to give them the nod. Will you, hopefully you'll be able to enjoy it in some shape or form anyway. Jeez, no lads, that's a big statement. <laughs> Brilliant having you on, German. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, that was uh, the legendary German O'Sullivan. Um, a lot, of, a lot of talking points there, Owen. I think um, one of them being just the quality hurling and the speed of it is insane at the moment when you see it up close. Yeah, it's it's been another brilliant season. I mean, obviously Saturday was a little bit of a disappointment in terms of the result. But I think Kilkenny being awesome actually just teases us up beautifully for the All-Ireland final. I think if Kilkenny had like limped through against Clare, the build-up would be like, how can anybody beat Limerick? Whereas now it's like, geez, this is going to be a hell of a final. What do you have the rest of the day? Well, we're going to get ready for Tralee later on. We are uh, in the company of Jason Sherlock and Darrow Canada. We're also going to have uh, Kilkenny's uh, Tommy Welsh down for a bit of hurling chat as well. It's a... Uh, one of our uh, Guinness Zero Zero Roadshows. So, um, yeah, it should be good. It should be a, a good evening looking ahead to Kerry Dublin on Sunday. See what the lads think. Who's going to win that one? The best of luck with that. And we shall talk to you soon. Yeah, cheers, Johnny. Chat to you. Yeah, that was uh, Owen Sheehan. Uh, OTBA was brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish your day. We're back tomorrow at 7.30am during the hot seats. I'll be here as well. We'll have rugby chat ahead of Ireland's second test. Johnny Sexton declared fit this weekend as well as previewing uh, the All-Ireland football semi-finals. I cannot wait for the weekend. I'm absolutely buzzing for it. Galway and Derry, one of them is going to be in an All-Ireland final. So much to look forward to. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar 